It's time for Twit This Week in Tech. Man, we got a great show for you. Jason Heiner from the Tech Republic is here. Brian McCullough from Tech Memes Ride Home. And the wild man himself, Greg Farrow from the Packet Pushers Network. We're going to talk about predictions for 2019, foldable phones, the advent of gene editing. I mean, it is just a crazy, crazy show. Stand by. Twit is next. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit. This Week in Tech, episode 703, recorded Sunday, January 27th, 2019. Algorithms are people too. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Casper, a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash twit and using the promo code twit at checkout. And by Cashfly. Give your users the seamless experience online that they want. Power your site or app with Cashfly CDN and be 30% faster than the competition. Learn more at twit.cashfly.com. And by Eero. Never think about Wi-Fi again when you can have brilliant, hyper-fast, super-simple Wi-Fi with Eero. And now, get total network protection with Eero Plus. Visit eero.com slash twit and get $100 off the Eero base unit, two beacons package, and one year of Eero Plus when you enter the code twit at checkout. And by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage. From the founders of Carbonite comes the cloud storage technology that's disrupting the industry. See for yourself with free unlimited storage for a month. Go to wasabi.com, click free trial, and use the offer code TWIT. It's time for TWIT This Week in Tech, the show where we cover the week's tech news. Each week we assemble. This is the one show we do where it's a different panel every week. But I like the variety. And... Uh, the, what's good is we always bring back the people we like the most, and we've got some of them on right now, including the fabulous Greg Farrow from the Packet Pushers Network. Hello, Greg. How's it going, everybody? Ethereal <laughs> Mind on the Twitter and in our chat room today. Thank good you. Good to see you. You're in, uh, uh, you're in Oxford? Uh, I, I'm in the middle of England in a town called Cheltenham. Cheltenham, which is that's just right. Next to Yep, just yep. next to Gloucester. Lovely. Which nobody knows where either of those is, so I don't even know why I said that. <laughs> <laughs> it's Cheltenham. It's right next to Gloucester. Um, yeah, it's uh, where the GCHQ um, is. Yeah, we're just in Petaluma. The... That's uh, right next to Cotati. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh... Just up the road from San Francisco. You know? <laughs> That's what I usually say. In fact, when we're yeah. traveling and people say where we're from, we almost always just say San Francisco or the Bay Area. Yeah. Nobody knows Petaluma. Jason Heiner, he's from a little town called Louisville, Kentucky. Hello, Jason. Right. Editor, hey, editor in chief of the Tech Republic. Always a pleasure. My my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's Lee, always uh, always fun. Lisa and I have chat. been watching a great documentary called Seven Days. The premise is the seven days before a big event, and they did the Kentucky Derby, and we both said we got to call Jason. Got to go to Louisville <laughs> for the Kentucky Derby. I would love to do that. You go. You go oh, every year, amazing. right? I don't go every year, but um, obviously I have been. Um, during the dot-com boom, Tech Republic had one of the biggest booths oh. on Millionaire's Row oh. when money was cheap in the dot-com era. You mean you don't anymore? Uh, no, we haven't for years. I mean, now we might get one of those little, you know, 
scroungy boxes or something. You know, <laughs> that you times have uh, changed. <laughs> times are times, times have, changed have changed big time. And I also, remember. there's so many more people that want to be at the Kentucky Derby right. now, right? Like it's right. it's uh, everybody wants to be there. So you're competing with Tom Brady and with right. everybody else, Michael Jordan, all these people. Um, you know, they're buying out the big uh, expensive boxes. Yeah, it's harder to get there. It's become famous. This is the the way of the world, unfortunately. By the time I find out about it. It's too late. Anyway, great to, <laughs> great to have you, Jason. CBS Interactive. And all the way to my left, Brian McCullough. He is the host of the Tech Meme, Rhyme, Tech Meme Ride Home podcast and an internet historian. Your book is great, by the way. Thank you, sir. How's it doing? Uh, uh, quite well. And actually, it's funny. I was going to hit with some history. The only thing I know about Gloucester is Richard III, right? My horse, a horse, my kingdom for the horse. Right, Greg? He doesn't know. I, wouldn't, I don't know. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. <laughs> I don't know anything I think I know about Gloucester. Sure remember that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I sort of, I, I, that, there's so much history around here where we live. This is the Midlands and it's, you know, cathedrals and castles and all that sort of stuff that it just becomes every day and you kind of stop absorbing the facts. It's, mm, and I, I know that's kind of weird for people who are watching, but that's, that's, that's a realist. I wouldn't so much stop. history I, there. I, I'd be hitting you with annoying facts every five seconds. <laughs> were you, were you, Brian? I know you're an internet historian, but were you a a, a history major, a history buff? I was actually a film major. Oh no, kidding. Um, no, yeah, but all I ever read are history. I'm, I'm. There's a great book I'm uh, reading right now called Horse Wheel Something about the history of the Indo-European language and how it's the root language of most nice. of all Western languages. Nice. Brian was awesome. uh, on our, triangula like that. our triangulation show in November talking about uh, how the internet happened from uh, Netscape to the iPhone. Brand new. Get yourself a copy. Writing history like that is easy if you lived through it. Oh, and as long as we're plugging books, thank you. Karsten <laughs> Bondi, Follow the Geeks, 10 Digital Innovators in the Future of Work. That's Jason Heiner's great book. Thank you. I am Chapter 9. Chapter nine. You're I also the chapter sample nine. chapter on Audible. Yay. When you go to Audible <laughs> and you hit sample chapter, you get the you intro get to Leo's chapter. Yes. <laughs> uh, a, a scene from Leo in the desert, uh, realizing that there were hundreds of people oh, coming to see him. Yeah, and had Vegas. no idea yeah. what the heck was going yeah. on. Wild, huh? Yeah. Well, let's see. I don't know where uh, to begin. There's so many, uh, so many stories this week. I might start with uh, with this. This is Scott Galloway, who wrote another book that we've talked about, The Big Four, all about the uh, four horsemen of the tech apocalypse. Um, he uh, he has his predictions for 2019 for big tech and beyond. He did something very brave. He went back and looked at his predictions last year on uh, and and graded them. That's where that's mm. what you do if you're a professor. That is brave. Very brave. Mm. He thought Wayfair would crash. He was wrong. He yes. thought Twitter, Snap, and BuzzFeed would was it would be acquired. He was mm. wrong. Uh, but he did a few things right. He said Amazon would surpass Apple in value. No one would have thought that. And that was partly because of, the, of a stock market bust as opposed to the growth of Amazon. But uh, maybe Amazon was... Uh, his point, no, his point with the Amazon was that it's got much greater growth potential than Apple, Apple does because Apple has to top out when there's a phone in every pocket and they don't have a successor to that. Whereas Amazon, 
has plenty of room to grow in e-commerce. Like uh, in the US, Amazon's only reaching like 5% of the total retail market. And they might have 50% of online business, but that's still only 5% of the overall retail turnover in the US. So they've got so much more room to grow. There's no way they're not going to be bigger than Apple eventually. But that's not the reason why Amazon stock doubled last year. It was, it's because of AWS, because AWS, they stumbled onto exactly. a, a, a second horse. Completely accidentally, <laughs> right? Yeah. Hey, we've got some yeah. extra servers in the closet, Jeff. What should we do with those? Yeah. Yeah, the second horse is going to be way bigger than the e-commerce business. <laughs> yeah. Way mm. bigger. Well, and then also, long. everyone's always talking about how they're getting into advertising and things like that. But, like, if you think about it, like, th there's – I mean, obviously, I'm not saying anything anybody doesn't know. But Amazon has their fingers in so many pies that, like, so – you know, everybody's doing a streaming thing. Amazon's had streaming video for forever. But, you know, the the insane advertising thing that they could do is if they release an ad support. I think they already do through through Twitch or something um, an ad supported streaming video play. Well, the ads could be tailored to things that you've already bought in your Amazon history to things that you've looked at but haven't bought yet. So like they they could potentially they they, they have so many potential huge things they can tap. Actually, to mm. that point, uh, Scott, and again, this is talking about last year's predictions. He said Amazon Media Group would surpass the revenue of Twitter and Oath. What he didn't predict is that Oath would be renamed Verizon Media Group, but he was, <laughs> but he was right about uh, revenue. Uh, he says in uh, at the beginning of the year, Morgan Stanley predicted Amazon's media group would have a revenue of four and a half billion. It probably is closer to eleven billion. Uh, so yeah, wow. even media is doing uh, well for Amazon. Let's mm. look at his uh, predictions, though, for uh, twenty nineteen. Snap is the Walking Dead. I think that's pretty obvious, or no? Think Snapchat will survive? I think I think Snap was the Walking Dead, but if Facebook merges, and this is another news article which maybe we'll cover, but um, they had an article in New York Times. They got a scoop. New York Times got a scoop on Facebook saying that uh, Facebook wants to merge Instagram, uh, WhatsApp, and the Facebook Messenger program into one. If that happens, then Snapchat will be very popular because Facebook will not will screw that up and drive customers <laughs> into the arms of Snapchat. Very interesting. Yeah, because Facebook is yeah. notorious for yeah. screwing stuff like that up. As soon as Zuckerberg gets involved in something, it gets screwed up. Yeah. Yeah, the theory Google, there Google is... Will buy Twitter, Google will buy Twitter and Snap. I th I've been <laughs> saying that for the last five years. No, I... You I, think so? They've just been waiting for... Oh, they've been waiting for Twitter to get cheap enough to buy. Yeah. I, I, think I, I think I said once... Twitter's at 12. They're not even close to 12 right now. It's gone way up. But um, once it gets to 12, I think then I think Google pulls the trigger. Galloway predicts Twitter will wait. be cut in half in 2019, mostly because yeah. of bots, foreign agents, you know, all of mm. all of the crap on uh, Twitter. I yeah. think that's a fair prediction, but I've been saying that for years, too. So I don't yeah. know. Um, he Google says, doesn't do content. It doesn't. Google can't be a media company, and Twitter, Facebook, Snap—they're all media companies. So right. Google can't buy them and won't. Twitter, Twitter really isn't a media company, though. They are trying to be, but they're really a data company. They just don't know it yet, and so I, I think and it Google, doesn't matter. Google's, Google's getting nailed in the EU for antitrust, <laughs> for screwing over the local True. press, for all that stuff, right? And if they were to buy Twitter, the European Union would be down on them so hard that it wouldn't matter. Twitter, for Snap, Facebook, they're publishers. 
They're absolutely content creators. They cook, their platforms are all about stealing content from other people and publishing it as repackaging it as content that they produce. Google can't do that. And if it does, it will die. It will instantly be subject to an antitrust action in the EU and then shortly after that in the Ultimately, US. though, they're all in I, it, the same business, which is collecting data for sales, right? I mean, yeah. that's really the business. It's just a matter of how you get that's, that data. That's the business. Um, Twitter, I, I do think Twitter is a, Twitter is a real-time data business. Um, I, I, I do agree with you, Greg, though, in that most people don't understand that. I think Twitter barely understands it. That's the problem, um, I, frankly. Twitter's got the worst management ever. <laughs> Would, do you, well, they don't I seem to understand what to do with it, right? Or is it just a, did you read, is it just hard? Did you read the article it, it from is Jack hard. Dorsey that hard. he published think, this week? Yeah, Jack's... And he was... The guy is insane. The guy's a, a nutcase. He's going on about, oh, we've got to do this. And, you know, I met Mark Zuckerberg and we killed a goat and then we ate it and, you know, blah, blah, blah. You go like, this is not how the CEO of a major media company, I mean, a major company acts. Like, you know, we've seen Elon Musk come unhinged. Now we're watching Jack Dorsey turn into a Fruit Loop. Um, Zuckerberg's clearly losing his control over at Facebook. He's just like, Oh, I don't know what to do. I'm going to just say stuff and see what happens. And it's all just going bananas, right? It's really funny watching these tech company CEOs all just blow up because they don't know what it's like to have a bad day. I, I also, mean, the world is changing around them so quickly. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead. Oh, you yeah, guys are too polite. Just jump in. <laughs> the, the world. Go ahead, Jason. You know, if you're Elon Musk, if you're um, Mark Zuckerberg, if you're uh, Jack Dorsey, the world is changing around them so quickly. And their companies, when they get big, it's just hard to change big companies quickly. Gonna... And they are struggling really, really hard with it. You know, everything great has been created by small teams and usually gets eventually screwed up by big teams. And um, even the iPhone, you know, I'm sure you guys have seen the stories and, and I've talked to people that were on the original team, or the iPhone team. It was about 20 people that, that made the iPhone. Um, and and you, you get in the position where when it's big enough, you play not to lose. And, and that's what we're seeing now is they're playing not to lose. It doesn't work at internet scale. It doesn't work at internet speed. And these are problems that are, are a little unique to the, the history of business. And, and it's not going well. Not? I mean, I, I will completely That's complete agree, bunk. Agree. Stop apologizing for them. Those people are all idiots. Kids. <laughs> Look, all the I'll say this, Greg. Clearly... I'll say this. Yeah. I think it's pretty clear Mark Zuckerberg was just incredibly lucky. Yeah. Right. He's not smart. Yes. He's Agreed. Incredibly not lucky. Um, Jack Dorsey. Lucky. Who knows why Jack Dorsey is running Twitter? Mostly because Ev and company just said, "Ah, screw it. The I got enough Jack, money." Jack uh, is. Uh, look at uh, and then Google. Larry and Sergey, incredibly lucky. For a long mm -hmm. time, didn't even know what they had. Some adult yep. supervision came along, probably Eric Schmidt, but somebody came along and said, "Dudes." You got this mountain of data. This is really valuable stuff. And they went, what? Yeah, and this is a data business. That's, uh, again, I think lucky, and I don't know who you'd point to to be the genius uh, there. Um, actually, I have a theory, but uh, but uh, I don't want to get too much in the weeds on that one. In, in most cases, these guys are like Mark Cuban. They just are lucky sons of guns. They got in the right place yeah. at the right time, and they cashed in. Was Mark Cuban was smart enough to cash in and get out and be a billionaire professionally. Yeah, that's right. His life, <laughs> his not, life not is a lot easier, right? Because he didn't have this delusion mm. that he was a genius.
I've said that yeah. many times that Mark Cuban is quietly the most brilliant man ever to be in the tech industry because he got out. But the the thing with by the way, Jack- if I'd gotten somebody bought Twit from me, like Yahoo bought Broadcast.com from, and I got a <laughs> yeah. billion dollars, I would have gotten out too. So just give me some. I would have been just as brilliant. So the yeah. thing with Jack is, and that and that article, because he Jack's on a publicity tour again, and this happened the same. I was on I, the last time I think it was. I was on the show. It, there was the Zuckerberg piece that got all the controversy. Like you know, I know, <clears throat> I know PR people think that this is a good idea. We need to get him out there. He was on the Bill Simmons podcast. We, you know, uh, I'm a human like you, fellow humans. Yeah. <laughs> the problem with yeah, Jack- that's usually that's that's Mark does that too. I am a human like you. Fellow. Exactly. Yes. Well, and yes. so Jack's flavor of that is that he I killed a goat. Sometimes he, no, 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 because actually he was trying to differentiate himself. He said he, he had a salad when right. He Mark like, had the he goat. Thought that that was a little weird, but that's the thing. So Jack, he he sometimes comes off as like almost the most zen and like evolved tech CEO out there but then other times and most times it's like well or he's just a flake and so like you know when he I think there was a tweet this weekend about him talking about his three-day fasts and things like that and I can't remember because I'd, I'd give her uh, a plot or a quote obviously but as somebody on Twitter said well now I understand why Twitter is the way it is because the CEO is starving all the time and, and, and when, you talk, when you talk to people that work at Twitter the thing yeah. that they always say is when they go to other companies, they can't believe that decisions actually get made in a logical, timely manner. <laughs> because at Twitter, <laughs> the culture is just like, you know, it takes them three years to decide to go beyond the the character limit on tweets, and and it's just like you can be you can be zen and you can be philosophical, but also you need to be decisive. I don't want to imply that these people are flawed. I'm not saying that. I'm saying they're normal. <laughs> And that unfortunately they got very lucky. And what happens when you become a billionaire is you think that you you suddenly your mind gets twisted and you think you did it and you are somehow godlike. And the problem yeah. is that the problems that these companies face are very difficult. Normal, yeah. it's not it's not an easy thing to do. I and mean, we can see this is the history of technology companies from day yeah. one. The one people, person that I think might be a god, I'm not sure, is Jeff Bezos. For sure. He, I think no, so. mostly Jeff Bezos hired people under him. So he set up a process so that the way that Amazon works is he created a management structure. Yeah, but that was smart. Mostly him. But that was smart, right? I mean, the, well, pi- the whole pizza principle of don't have yeah, a meeting right. that you can't have more feed with two yeah. pizzas. The, the whole idea of writing Instead of making pitches mm-hmm. for stuff, writing the press release, I think he did yep. some very, very smart things. That was a good one. The second one was he swindled the investors into convincing them <laughs> not to take a profit. So that only worked for a little while, though. Remember, he could no yeah. longer go back to the, the capital markets uh, around about 2000, yep. and he had to start to turn that profit knob a little bit. Yep. Um, you know, I so wanna... those, those are the two innovations. Now, the challenge is I would never work for Amazon because those people are – used like slaves. That's another bright oh, thing that you. Jeff they Bezos did. They're oh, known God, for working them to the bone. You want to become mm-hmm. the richest man in the world? Extort it from the slaves. How I mean, else? the workers. The workers. How else? Yeah. You don't build the yeah. pyramids yeah. with the, you know, nine to five workers. Let's, oh, let's ask the history guy about this. <laughs> well, I was going to yeah, I was going to use the the pyramids analogy or whatever, but but okay, so to bring it full circle though and to say that Bezos is probably the closest to genius is so that okay, even if he doesn't come up with AWS himself, like we're saying he put up 
you know, look at what Google's been trying to do moonshots for how long now? They know they're a one-trick advertising pony. They know that's not really changing and they the world. Can't, is, and they can't do it. And, can't right. Do and the it. same thing when, when you see Facebook trying same to get thing. into hardware and you see, you know, even Twitter Apple doesn't even try. To, Apple, Apple's, trying Apple's to like, what's next? IPhone. No idea. Okay. So Amazon has in place a system yes. that, hey, you know, Jeff, this thing over here, you know, we've got this, this these spare computer cycles and things like that. Do you think there's a business here and there's a mechanism in place for them right. to go explore it? And then when it works to then actually execute, that's actually the key. Anyone can come up with great other business ideas, but then to execute on yes. turning that into your next yes. great business, and, uh, that's but, insane. Yes. I'm going to give credit, by the way. Paying taxes, he was able to use that to <laughs> fund those things. So literally, no. what he did was instead of paying a, you know, paying shareholders a dividend, no, we know he would punt on all these startups. You know? Yeah, but <laughs> what did he? What did what did he do that was genius? He got these investors, got them to give them millions of dollars, plowed every penny of profit into what distribution centers, growth, growth. Yeah, yeah. and that yeah. was no, the growth, right move, yeah, not a, a gu gutsy move, right? Well, yes and no. There's two things they do. One is they, as we've already pointed out, is they continue to innovate and develop new business ideas. So they built distribution centers because the freight companies couldn't do it for them or the handling companies couldn't do it for them and getting the goods closer to the customer, blah, blah, blah. And now they're buying planes and now they're, they've looked at using drones to do home deliveries. Now they're uh, doing robot Cops but with, with all of those warehouse and with all that distribution, they did the genius thing of allowing third parties onto that platform since, hey, we already have this here anyway. Mm, right. There is more yep. money made by Amazon from the third parties that are on the Amazon platform than Amazon. It's not even close this yes. day and age but that's, on, that Amazon sells itself. Exactly. But the secret to that platform is that you, the people using the platform must get more profit than you get from it yourself. That's okay. And that is where if YouTube you get, has failed. If you, that's right. the whole key. The, the, uh, look, at, he comes from hedge funds, right? He understands mm -hmm. that the, the key is to collect all the crumbs. It's fine if other people make money. As yes. long as you get a percentage of every financial yes. transaction, you're going to yes. be the wealthiest man in the world. The, the difference between Amazon and everybody else is they know what business they're in, right? We're talking about the problems with all these other companies. They don't really know what business they're in. This and so is, this is funny. It's a bunch what... of poor podcasters talking about <laughs> how, to become, how to become rich. There's, there's a certain irony in all of this. There's a, there's a lot here's, of irony. Here's the thing. We know we don't want to be them, right? <laughs> I, I really look at it. I mean, I look at all those, those CEOs like Zuckerberg, founder CEOs particularly, Musk, Zuckerberg, uh, you know, Dorsey and was and all Musk of that. lucky? Like, I feel like Musk was pretty smart. Yeah, but at some point well, you've got to stick for his original businesses. He's pretty lucky. I think he's he is a visionary. Yeah, PayPal but maybe he, he was oh, lucky, yeah. but I think he oh, was yeah, a visionary. Yeah. I think he's a visionary. You you can be he a visionary, but I mean, at some point you have to stand back and let someone execute. So when we look at yeah, he uh, he has not been good at that. Yeah, if no. you look at more traditional companies, there are people running them at the top who are grown-ups that don't say things. So you look at Michael Dell, for example, still at the helm of Dell, but you don't see him going off a three-day meditation temple, you know, in, in a country which is Don't knock war, that. If he wants to go to Myanmar and sit in a cave, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine, but don't talk about it, right? Yeah, don't tell that's anybody. You do if you do that. Club. I don't want to know. <laughs> that's the British in you right there. <laughs> it is. That's very British. It's all right. It's so Just don't tell anybody. Tell, it's so egotistical to tell people about your personal life and put it Welcome out there in to public. America. Like, Who cares about you? <laughs> so I just no want to, as a, as a complete footnote, I do want to say that I think that the evil genius at Google was not Sergey. It was not Larry. 
It was not Eric Schmidt. It was this guy who probably most people don't know is Hal Varian. He is to this day the chief economist at Google. Mm. He wrote the seminal papers at the end of the last century that said, here's where we have value. Here's how we can capitalize on this value. And if you want to know more about why Google took that pivot, because it's interesting. I, I interviewed uh, Shoshana Zuboff about her book, uh, Surveillance Capitalism. In the book, she quotes Larry giving a speech in 1998 about Google saying we could never take advertising because that would taint the search product. We have to stay above that. That was Larry that's, and Sergey did not. That's they, in their original paper. The that's paper right. That they got that's their, in the paper. PhDs for yeah. Uh, it was Hal yeah. Varian who came along and said, "Look, first of all, <laughs> there's been a stock market crash. We better find a way to make money fast because the investors are getting itchy. And here's how we do it. So maybe Hal Varian deserves uh, credit. Not well known. And here, that's where Greg, you're right. Just keep your what is it? Hide your light under a bushel. Yeah. Yeah, if you're if you're well, the, the leader thing, of that sort of company, you're supposed we expect you to to be a grown up and say things that people expect you to say, be reasonably well behaved in public. And if you want to go and have a, like a bunch of mistresses and do BDSM in your own time, don't don't go and make sure that that comes out in public. Just don't do that, right? right? Yeah. Just keep it in your pants. Well, let's to, this, to, I, go one ahead. more thing about Amazon. Sorry, last thing on yes, Amazon. Just, you know knowing what business they're in, you know, they are, they figured out, um, you know, over the last, especially five years that the business, their business of the future is delivering things to people, delivering goods and delivering bits, right? Even, um, uh, just electronic stuff and making micro, uh, transactions off of every single one of them. Right. And mm -hmm. so, that is why the future, uh, you know, they are already, you know, owning more and more of the future and where it's headed. And the, the thing that could hold them back is if, uh, you know, they're going to run into some of these same problems that some of the other companies are, but they know what business they're in and they know, you know, use that to make the decisions. I think a lot of these other companies, Twitter, Facebook, um, to an extent, Google, Google still sometimes is, is um, you know, reaching and, and trying to figure things out, um, is that, you know, they're still not quite sure what the future, um, you know, could be or how big they could get or uh, what are the most important aspects of what they do um, for their customers. So that's Most the companies, though, never it. have a second act, right? Yeah. It's yeah, really true. It's that's a hard thing to do. Well, it is. not only do they not have a second act, 50% of acquisitions they make fail. Yeah. Statistically, right? Yeah. Um, and for some companies, and they do those acquisitions because they're trying to find a second act, but often that's a failure too. Interestingly, the Gall Galloway's predictions, a lot of them have to do with Amazon. He says Amazon will become one of the five largest media firms by the end of 2020. He says Amazon, this is an interesting prediction, will spin off AWS. To reduce antitrust concerns. Is it it's inevitable? inevitable. Yeah. 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 Uh it has to be. He also says That's Amazon been talked about for some time. That's begins, been moot by most people. Begins their uh, march toward becoming the most valuable healthcare company in the world. I talked to Christina Farr last week, and not only that, they're about to get into health insurance, uh, not just with the the, the combination with uh, Berkshire Hathaway and and whoever the other third. J.P. Morgan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's going to be health insurance uh, this year. She thinks. 
<laughs> his final the spinoff <laughs> thing is not right though. The spinoff thing, if you look at their actual earnings, their business, AWS is their business. Like it is the only really profit well, engine. Jeff gets to keep the stock. Business. It's, not nah, like- it's, it's absolutely going to happen. There's, the simple fact is nah. AWS is still only earning about six to eight billion a quarter. So it's still tiny, but it's got massive growth potential. So, for example, Cisco makes twelve to thirteen billion dollars a quarter, and AWS is only half the size of Cisco. HPE does eight billion dollars a quarter, and AWS is tiny. But AWS has mammoth growth potential, and it's actually driving change in the market. So, if they float that off, it could be as much as sixty percent of the value of Amazon today. And so, you're going to uh, get that exactly. cash, and then you can put it back into AWS, and he can make AWS blow up like a nuclear bomb. It's like becoming critical mass. Nah, I, I think that it's the only good business they have. These other businesses are so dependent on so many different things, fuel, margin, you know, the margins are terrible. You know, AWS is the only really great business they have. I think it's more likely they spin off the e-commerce business into something that, you know, low margin business. But the future uh, of that business is delivering electronic goods and all of it is through, is through AWS. No, you can't disassemble the platform. You can't disassemble the shopping platform and the ad, or the ad network. There is a synergy. There is a synergy. There is a synergy, but there's a re, but the real qualm. In fact, we're going to get to this after the break. Is regulation, and everybody, I think, in Silicon Valley is terrified. That's that was the sure. point of Scott Galloway's book was here comes the government. Uh, yes. Yeah. His last prediction, I think, a little tongue in cheek. Shell Sandberg will marry Mackenzie Bezos. <laughs> They'll pool their $70 billion fortune and become the largest shareholders in Alphabet. Mm. Ms. Sandberg reanimates Google Plus. Ms. Bezos takes over Google's <laughs> voice group and they legally adopt Evan Spiegel. I think, I think that's... I hope that happens. That's, that's he is he is a funny guy, but he's he, he makes a very good point about Cheryl Sandberg. And he says that, uh, unfortunately, because she's she says, a woman... And he says she's going to so, leave. Well, she she has to at this point. She has to be the sh the shield that somebody has to take the fall, right? And at for the, same the George way Soros the, stuff, for all of that, she's going to take the fall for that. Yeah. For so they need to He's make not, a they need to make a, a show of we're getting new blood in here. We're doing oh. generational turnover. Yeah. By the way, there is a connection. Sheryl Sandberg learned about Google and the way they use data when she worked at Google, and she mm -hmm. brought it to Facebook. She brought the flame from Hal yes. Varian and carried the flame across the street to Facebook and said, look, mm. fire. <laughs> it's fire. It's fire. Good. So I do think, I do think it'll be, she's likely to leave for whatever reason, however they frame it. Wow. Um, well, let's take a break because I want to talk about Mark Zuckerberg's Wall Street Journal editorial. Uh, well, there's, <laughs> there's a lot more to talk about. Uh, as you can see, a fiery panel today. And it's usually when Greg Farrow's here. He fires them up. Greg Farrow from the Packet Pushers Network. Jason Heiner from CBS Interactive, Tech Republic. He's EIC there. And uh, Brian McCullough from Tech Memes Ride Home Podcast. Internet historian. And our show today brought to you by, we're talking about mattresses, Casper. <laughs> Casper. We love our Casper. Casper is an online premium mattress retailer. They invented this whole idea of, that. well, you know, this is where Silicon Valley really is good. They look for uh, inefficiencies in markets. And, and, and the guys who founded Casper said, look, this is crazy. A company makes a mattress, then they sell it through a showroom that marks it up 100% or more to an end user. This is crazy. We could sell direct and cut out the middleman 
and sell great mattresses for much less money. But then, good thinkers that they are, they said, well, there's one little problem with that. People want to go to a showroom and lie on a mattress. Not that that's a good way to test a mattress. I could tell you, I've many a mattress I've I've gone to the showroom, laying on it, lied on it, uh, and what is it, Carson? You went to Harvard, lay on it, lie, laying, laying on it. You you laid on it. I laid on it. Chickens lay an egg, but people lie on mattresses. Anyway, whatever it is. <laughs> I've gotten the wrong mattress more than once by doing that. So what Casper said is, we're going to give you 100 days, or maybe it's better to say 100 nights with this mattress. At any time in the first 100 days, if it's not perfect, we will come and get it. We will take it away. We'll refund you every penny. That solved the problem. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a sleep surface with just the right sink, but also bounce. It's, I, I, it's hard to describe. That's why you have to lie on it or lay on it or do whatever you do with it. Actually, I do both because you want it to you want it 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 it's gives to the your knobbly parts, but it's firmly supporting your back. Is that a way to describe it? I don't know. You have to try it. And and I've, I really have to say this is true. It's, it's breathable, which means you sleep cool. And we know from sleep experts, sleeping cool is the key to a great night's sleep. You're going to get long lasting support. Long lasting comfort from your mattress. You buy it completely risk free online. Here's our Casper. This is this is our second Casper. Uh, you, we love it. it. It is an incredible mattress. They uphold the highest environmental production standards. They're made in the USA. They come in a surprisingly compact box, which is really great. We got one for my son's dorm room because he didn't like the mattress that was in the dorm for obvious reasons. So he was able to schlep it upstairs. It's great. And it was so affordable. After four years, we said, you can leave it there. We'll give you a new one when you get your apartment. Casper. <laughs> Good. Isn't that, doesn't that make you want to just, <sighs> get a Casper mattress today. You can save $50 towards select mattresses when you go to Casper, C-A-S-P-E-R.com slash twit and use the promo code twit at checkout. Casper.com slash twit, promo code twit to save $50 on select mattresses, terms and conditions apply. Thank you, Casper. If I am well rested, you can thank Casper. Now I'm relaxed. Greg will, fire, <laughs> Greg will fire me up. So uh, I do have one topic I want to raise reasonably early, if I may. This DNS um, thing, right? Yeah, DNS flag day. So let me try and preface this. This is going to get a little bit nerdy, so strap yourself in. I'll try and keep it short for the people who aren't uh, related to that. So this is the Internet Society. That is the body that is responsible for parts of the Internet and making a fairly substantial change to the way that DNS works. So what's, once upon first of a all, time, what's wrong with DNS? There's nothing wrong with DNS. Over the years, we've changed the standards from DNS to a thing called enhanced DNS or eDNS. Um, the standard was done uh, 7493, I think, from memory. Um, it was done like 10 years ago. And what they did was the idea uh, – the original DNS had a maximum query size of 512 bytes in the packet. And that was no longer big enough. When we went to Unicode, the data that was being jammed into the packet oversized the packet. So we created a thing called enhanced DNS or extended DNS – and that allowed for a larger packet size. Now, that was fine, but all of the DNS servers on the internet, if you got a query from somebody who was using legacy DNS, they would tolerate your non-eDNS query and respond back to you and say, okay, we'll give you some time to do the transition. Let me talk down to you because you have a server that's stupid. Yeah. You know, V1, kind of like V1, V2. Are you know, there HTTP a lot of people not using eDNS now? 
Uh, it's a very small number. It's like two to five percent. Um, and they've sort of got to the point saying, look, we can't move the DNS infrastructure on. We need to make changes to DNS, like DNS over HTTPS. We need to make um, changes to the to in, increase the security, but we can't unless everybody's at least gotten away from the technology from 30 years ago. So they've put a put a flag down and said, on the 1st of February is uh, DNS Flag Day. We're going to start the new version of Bind, which is what most people use, will no longer support. Uh, DNS only. If you make a query wow. and you don't flag that I do not, so you've got to be able to support at least enough of the extensions to say, I don't understand eDNS, give me a DNS response. If you make a, an invalid or a legacy query, these servers will no longer respond. And it's going to be a bit like a, a rot, you know, like a link rot thing we used to have years ago. They used yeah. to worry about what happens when all of these um, shorteners used to disappear and then all these links would be dead. Some people are going to not be able to access some things. So if you own a domain, get out there, start running a test, go to dnsflagday.com and put your domain in and find out if it's going to pass the tests. And uh, you don't have to rush it. You know, It's not an apocalyptic thing. It's just something that's going to start having an impact as some users won't be able to work. And it's mostly going to be companies who implement firewall appliances because a lot of the firewalls have these proxies and the DNS queries come in and then they go out. And if those haven't been kept up to date, there's a fair bet that they're where the problem is. It's dnsflagday.net, by the way, not .com. Oh, sorry. .net. My apologies. So, yeah. so this doesn't affect home users, end users at all. But if you have, like we have, twit.tv, if you have a domain, mm -hmm. you, should, you should make sure that it works. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it does. I'm okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Mine don't. So Ooh. I'm having a problem with hover.com. Uh, they're really? not updating. Yeah. If you test uh, uh, gregferro.com, which is my personal blog site, all my others are hosted at Cloudflare. Um, but yeah, hover.com. I do everything isn't going at Hover. To I'm going to try Yeah, no, they're not, they're not compliant and they will be. Uh, ah! <laughs> so, so this is uh, like yours. This is at hover, leolaport.com. It, mm -hmm. So, this to be clear, it's hosted at wordpress.com, but the DNS go goes yes, through Hover. That's right. Yeah. Now, it's going to work because they do just support the eDNS query and respond with legacy DNS answers, right? So they're not broken. As it says there, you're going to work. But I contacted Hover and they said, we're not going to fix it. What? And if you don't like it, leave. Why not? Hey, I don't know. They're, I believe that Hover might be in a rent extraction mode. So the original company that it was a couple of years Two ago, cows. which was really innovative and really doing good things. Yeah. It would seem that whoever's running the business now just wants to haul all the profit they can out of it and do nothing. So, oh, dear, because um, all of our – Screw them. <laughs> they were, they were a, I don't know if they're still a sponsor. I think they might be, but uh, all yeah. uh, regardless, all of our, all of my domains, all of our domains are through uh, Hover. I thought Twit.tv oh. Twit is as well, I believe. Yeah. Um, Just because if you're using them as a registrar, but you've got your DNS somewhere else, must so for be, example, must be we have the DNS somewhere else. Yeah. Yes, I have. I have all of my domains registered at, at or most of my domains at Hover, but my DNS is most often hosted at Cloudflare. So I'll start migrating my domains away to Cloudflare in the next few weeks. Wow! Just because their response was so bad, it was basically like, "So what? We're not fixing it, and if you don't like it, go." Literally, that's that's the. <laughs> I can send you a screenshot. It's pretty amazing. Wow. Uh, well, that's a good mm. takeaway. You know, if you got your domains there, you know, seriously think about yeah. moving them. Well, Hover is well, still I, a sponsor, so I'm gonna. Uh, I think I have maybe some an in there. We'll try to. <laughs> we'll try yeah. to get them to change that. Sorry, point of I, view. Didn't, I didn't mean to. 
I got no, I was that's quite terrible. Beat. I was quite peeved with his support query. Yeah. It was quite uh, well. Maybe you yeah. got some. Maybe somebody had a bad day, and it just maybe. Was, yeah. I bet you. I'm gonna. I'm gonna make a promise to you that they're gonna fix that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get. I'm gonna make a promise to you. Uh, that they're going to fix it. Now, well. this doesn't have anything to do with DNS security, which is another issue entirely, right? No, DNSSEC is quite different. I think DNSSEC will likely never get traction. So DNS security is where we actually encrypt the client and the server actually encrypt the sessions between them using uh, a form of public cryptography. I suspect that we'll see DNS over HTTPS before DNSSEC ever gets traction. Hmm. Um, so the idea of using DNS over... Uh, UDP and having its own protocol will probably fade away. In fact, um, I actually use a thing uh, on my iPhone. I use an app which lets me use DNS over yeah. HTTPS. Quad ones. Um, I love it. 1.1.1.1. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, this uh, actually stops uh, when you're at a cafe or something like that. People can't uh, intercept your DNS queries and use those for data and analytics. And I'm just, I'm a bit privacy freaky myself so that scratches my personal itch in some cases my um dns is uh, in fact leolaporte.com i think is not does not go through hover goes through fastmail my email provider so i think maybe fastmail needs to work on this too in their defense in both hover's defense and fastmail's defense it's not that it doesn't work it's just not fully compliant um so that needs to be fixed is there a, is there going to be a flag day for full compliance um, it'll just be a rot thing. So over time, if the root servers stop responding to um, legacy queries, then eventually things just stop working and that's the only way we can move forward. They've been agonizing over it for some years and they've basically realized that there are things we have to do with DNS yeah. to move forward and we have to get to the point where we say, right, and they've been carefully, you know, this is all explained. If you go to the blog post, there's all the data is there pointing you to source material, explaining the whole thing in detail. So we can just... You know, check your domains. If you want to understand more, hit the blog post. Go to dnsflagday.net. There's lots of information, um, and uh, take some time to learn about it if that's the thing that you and need. Hover's to Hover's primary business is as a registrar. So what I I don't know if I'll move yeah. off of Hover. I'll just move my DNS somewhere mm. else, right? Yeah, that's sure. what yeah. the chat room is saying too, right? You could also because because other people in the chat room have said that they've actually had great experiences with they're great with Hover. registrar. I, I, I've never them. used them. Yeah, but they said yes, they keep their their DNS. You know other places and as i said uh fastmail which uh also can do dns and and so some of my uh some mm. of my domains are uh dns including leoloport.com for uh, mail reasons i think are uh, uh hosted yeah. at hover and they also show up as a problem so i think let me try um let me try some other ones so well, that's an interesting issue yeah and it's not an apocalypse so you know don't don't don't, but it is something that well, it would be eventually if, if you were down. on such, yeah. such an old server that it didn't support at least some of these mm. extensions, right? Yep. Um, I'm. If people want a recommendation, I can recommend Cloudflare. They are actually um, charging you. They exactly started what doing it costs domain them. service. Yeah. Can everybody? Yeah. I think you have to be a customer now. They're not yet open to the public, are they? Uh, I think you have to be a customer. No. 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 I'm checking here now, and it's it's yes. Okay. Mm. When they first announced Anyone? their uh, domain name service, uh, mm. they said it's going to be for... Now, by the way, you can be a customer for free. Um, so, uh, okay, good. So now you don't even have to have a, a Cloudflare account. to. to yeah, it just has early access. We'll be rolling yes. out access to Cloudflare registrar on stages based on factors like 
how long you've been a Cloudflare customer. So it oh, okay. is not going to be available. This will be eventually a publicly available. It's super cheap drive. too. It, they're charging you the wholesale cost. Right. So I'm looking at my etherealmind.com domain. <laughs> what a chance to plug the hell out of that, hey? It's $7.85. That's great. That's half the price of Hover. Yeah, do, yeah domains mm. are cheap at uh, because they yeah. don't do anything else, I guess. <laughs> well, it's just a it's just a script. Speaking of bad guys, <laughs> GoDaddy has had a little bit of a slap in the mm. face. GoDaddy's uh poorly designed security. What do you actually you're going to have to explain this. I think Greg you could explain this to me. Uh, has yeah. allowed uh, spammers to use well-known domains registered on GoDaddy uh, to put out like that is extortion spam. Did you get that one where you got an email saying, I know your password, it's, and by the way, <laughs> I've recorded you on a porn site and you might want to send me money or I'm going to give this to all your friends. That's the one. I got those twice in the last month. Yeah, and by the way, it scared me because it was a password I had used many years yeah. ago. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's due to a flaw in GoDaddy and Brian Krebs uh, discovered this one. I think this. I think the takeaway here is based on the evidence of the last five to ten years, you shouldn't be doing business with GoDaddy. They're a bunch of hopeless losers. I mean, we've just seen them do everything wrong consistently, repeatedly, over and over and over. At this point, why are they still in business? Are people stupid? Yeah. In fact, uh, this this flaw, <laughs> this vulnerability, was first written about in 2016 by Matthew Bryant. Mm -hmm. Um. And uh, it basically allows somebody who has a GoDaddy account on the same domain name server as a big company to send email out from that big company's IP address, thereby bypassing a lot of spam filters, which look at IP addresses to see uh, yeah, which block. Bad stuff. Bad stuff. Um, so I don't know if GoDaddy's fixed that, but that is a. Uh, it first yeah. came to light because uh, somebody mailed a bomb threat from virtualfirefox.com which is yeah. a Mozilla Foundation uh, domain. Yeah, I, I I just would strongly recommend that people do not ever use GoDaddy. They are proven to be the least reputable internet provider probably yeah. of any great size. And yeah. you know, we've had so many stories with them over the years. Why are we why are we still doing this? <sighs> Confirmation that uh, Dr. He, He Jiangkui, did in fact, China has confirmed, use CRISPR to gene edit babies. Those babies were born. And uh, he, China says he, uh, he forged ethical review papers, recruited eight couples to participate in his experiment, resulting in two pregnancies. One of the mothers gave birth to twins nicknamed Lulu and Nana. These are the first, as far as we know, Humans born with their genes CRISPR edited. He had removed a, a gene that supposedly would give these children uh, better resistance to HIV uh, and other diseases, smallpox, I think. Um, but the problem with CRISPR gene editing is the side effects are unknown. And, yeah. And while people have done this in the lab to rats and other things, it's the first time we know of that's. You've, and this was a big story when we talked about this. It was unclear whether it had really happened, but now that we know it's really happened, I think this is a watershed moment. Yeah, you know, CRISPR is likely to be one of the most, the, one of the biggest breakthrough technologies of of this century. When we get to the end of the century and we look back, like it, it is likely to be, you know, one of the big ones. Um, moving too fast in this area is fraught with all kinds of of risks and dangers that. Um, 
it just doesn't feel like we should be, you know, moving that quickly, right? There should be a lot more um, research. There should be a lot more things done in labs before, uh, you know, we put this in, in human beings. So that's the scary part. And that's why I think the scientific world is, is really <clears throat> cringing and has been cringing about this. Um, and, and why they haven't supported, obviously, the, the work. Um, every, nation, every nation has, has laws against this. I mean, this is, yeah. everybody agrees, this is not the time to start doing this. Although, yes. once the genie's out of the bottle. Well, don't you think, not to be too, too cynical about it, but uh, part of it is like some of the articles that I've read, like people are suggesting that, you know, this guy <clears throat> kind of did this on his own, was going to promote himself. And so not to be overly cynical, but like if China was the first to make some sort of CRISPR breakthrough, um, I feel like that they would have gotten behind it and like look at how Chinese technology and medicine is a. So I'm 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 wondering if the problem here is that this guy was sort of a lone wolf that um, was uh, mm. trying to be a little too promotional because if he if he wasn't and there was real legitimate breakthroughs, I don't feel like China would be throwing him under the bus like this. Yeah, mm. I, I'm not sure. You know, he's things. disappeared from sight. I think there's two <laughs> things here that um, we we aren't considering. One is that the current research indicates that the use of the CRISPR technology is actually incredibly damaging to the genes themselves. So not only are you using CRISPR to uh, target specific genes, but what's coming out is the evidence is that CRISPR is actually damaging entire gene structures. Right. So you may actually be causing more genetic defects than you're actually fixing. And so this is the reverse side of a, of a breakthrough. The, the reality starts to set in that there might yes. be some downsides. Um, the children so are that. not being identified by the Chinese government, but they said the Chinese government says we are going to monitor them because there yes. is some concern about their long-term health. Well, a great Remember when Dolly because... the sheep was the first cloned animal, these uh, cloned mm. sheep died very quickly because it turned out not only were they cloning the sheep, they were cloning their biological clock. <laughs> yeah, so, so the senescence was actually cloned at the same time. Yeah, I think it, yeah. I think the challenge here with the CRISPR stuff is they're actually attacking the germline. So what that means, if those children have genetic defects, they'll carry through into the children of those 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 babies, and so they replicate down through the years. And we don't want a situation, perhaps, where uh, uncontrolled use of CRISPR that is actually damaging to the germline then gets uh, fed into the gene pool. That That is theoretically the end of the world type scenario. Yeah. So science wants to be careful about this. On the other hand, if any country is going to do it, you'd think it'd be the first would be the Chinese. <laughs> I guess that was your point, Jason, right? Is that, you know, there's there's oh, also man. so many yeah. issues. I mean, it's not even the side effects. Not even let's say you could do it effectively without side effects. Then that raises a whole slew of other problems. Will it only mm. be available to those who can afford it? Will Design billionaires become yeah? Will billionaires become a new species because they can afford their to have children that are smarter, faster, better, more more good looking than everybody else? It's amazing how much, you know, science fiction, of course, has dealt with the, has been dealing with these oh, yeah. issues for so long, right? Like, um, I, I remember in Deep Space Nine, um, in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, where uh, they, um, remember the doctor, uh, it came out like about halfway through the series that he was genetically manipulated. He was yeah. kind of an underperformer and he had this, you know, genetic manipulation and turned him into kind of like this brainiac. 
Um, and then of course, you know, Jurassic Park, it was like, you know, the, the whole, you're, you're so busy trying to figure out if you could, that you didn't stop to think if you should. And which of course that was all about, you know, manip- gene manipulation and On dinosaurs. The other hand, I mean, if you could do it, uh, I mean, if these kids were successfully CRISPR edited to be resistant to, to diseases, that's a good thing, yeah. right? Oh, I mean, the potential of this is amazing. Yeah. I, it, it, no, I don't, I don't think anybody would argue with the fact that being able to, um, you know, uh, get rid of diseases, be able to protect against diseases, be able to do uh, all kinds of things uh, that, that are, um, you know, mind blowing, really. Uh, the potential is fantastic, but, but too fat moving too fast in something like this is fraught with so much know. risk and so much error. I don't know if there's any speed with which you can move because we, because we just don't have mechanisms to Contest. even think about this or to, I mean, I'm not talking about the, 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 the legitimate issues that, that you raise, Greg, of whether it works mm. and whether it causes problems, but the ethical issues in just chain, modifying genes, we don't have any mechanism for this. It's fun. Congress can't early. even it's figure like, out whether yeah. we should build a wall. Forget yeah. it. I mean, this seems so beyond our capabilities and our understanding. And it, it, like we have autonomous cars on the road and the risk of, you know, coincidental death or accidental death exists. But imagine if you could put a, a an autonomous car on the road that would run now for the next 500 years and you couldn't take it off. That's History the sort hat, of Leo. thing that... You, yeah. huh? History hat. History hat. <laughs> Do you want to know Let's the only Let's... reason that um, atomic energy uh, was able to be regulated by the U.S. government was because when they developed the bomb, it was during wartime, and so the president had special wartime powers right. to – so the whole fact that the entire – like atomic energy is an entire industry, but it's entirely regulated and controlled by the U.S. government because it was during wartime and the president had wartime powers to make that happen. Had it been developed by private industry – be a completely different issue yeah would it not uh, day, probably maybe. not actually i agree with you that you i think you're right <laughs> but if it wasn't at that point in time all of the governments of the world united to agree that nuclear power had to be controlled yeah. because of the risk so they only did I used that to work the for here's the difference here's the, the difference it's still very hard as as kim jong-un will tell you to create an atomic bomb it takes yes. a lot of skill a lot of expertise and a lot of tests it turns out CRISPR is something you could pretty much do in your basement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not that hard. Yes. And that's the real problem here is that this technology, whether it was developed by a government or private labs or whatever, it will get out. And There's unlike an atomic bomb, like lots now. of people. Yeah, there is a lot of technology like that, isn't there? Mm. Yeah. But we've got the same I, problem I with will- cocaine and heroin. People doing that at home and look at the damage that that's caused. Yeah, look how look, look yeah. how easy it is to make meth. CRISPR uh, will be a thing. I, I'm I'm confident CRISPR will be a thing in our lifetime. Just, I think. Yeah. Oh yes, a hundred percent. And and ultimately, it has great potential to make things better. It's just you know, human humans and humanity is mature We're enough so not ready to actually yeah. deal this, with this um, in time, but the time is certainly not there yet. We're, We're so not such early days. You know, one of the, uh, I, I've mentioned this several times, I'm reading, I love Yuval Noah Harari, the, the philosopher from, the, uh, from Israel who wrote Sapiens yeah. and Homo Deus, his newest is 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. And one of the things he's pointing out is as we're doing this kind of regression to nationalism 
And it's happening in many countries uh, worldwide, this kind of nostalgic uh, desire to close in. It's happening in Britain, as you know, Greg, and, and it's happening in the United States. The problem so, with that is many of the problems that we have to deal with in the future are not national but global. You can't, right. can't deal with climate change nationally. You can't deal with CRISPR <coughs> nationally. It's going to take a global effort. And, and in many cases, countries are moving in the wrong direction. How, you know, mm. a country can't ban CRISPR and then expect it not to be used everywhere else. Right? In fact, nuclear, nuclear weapons... It's a global issue, not a national issue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the attempt to deal with it nationally is is fraught with peril, as we well know. If they've yeah. got it's them, we have to world. have them. It's a global world and you can't turn back the clock on it. Yeah. And, and the, the things that are happening, you know, they're ultimately going to be blips in the radar. You know, we know um, that this is the way that history moves, right? It's often two steps forward, one step back. And, you know, in, in, it's funny because one of the greatest examples of this is, you know, China and U.S. and their trade relations and all of that. We are so intertwined and interdependent, um, you know, on each other uh, commercially that it, it's ridiculous. A lot of this thing is so much posturing and so much, um, you know, really negotiation tactics in many ways from, from both sides um, because it would be catastrophic to both the U.S. and China to not have a really strong trade relationship. Oh, yeah, and we've so, got to do that. uh, That's just we've one example, right? Yeah. It's just and one that, example. That promotes where, peace. I yeah. mean, that's as, it does. one of the reasons we haven't had a nuclear war is because it would be catastrophic for both sides. And everybody knows that, right? The uh, sorry, guys. Guns of August, guns of August, guns of August. <laughs> You're talking about World War One. Yes. I know that they, much. They, they said that there would never be a, the last never war. Be a global war. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. It'll, right. it, it's impossible. Our trade relations, we have, they thought in 1914 that they had a, a global world where trade was so mm, inter intertwined. And, and there's no way we would ever go to war. Yeah. Interesting. It's true. Actually, January night, January 18th, uh, just that just passed, you know, um, nine days ago, was the 100th anniversary of um, the Paris Treaty to end, officially end. World War One. So I've been I've been reading about this. So what I'm not saying it's impossible that there won't be, um, the, you know, that humans uh, aren't possible of of going down that road again. I'm just saying every day we are more interdependent. Yeah. The every best day it's hope more for it global is global world. is globalism and global trade. That's the best mm -hmm. hope for peace. It may not be yes. sufficient. <laughs> yes, but we know given nationalism the, the is quality, the wrong direction. Let's just let's just point out the people who. Um, will be leading those decisions. We've got uh, President Trump. We've got uh, uh, the Chinese May. leader for life, Jin <laughs> President Jin Jinping. Xi, yeah. yeah. He's yeah. now been appointed to, for life. Yeah. So he no longer has to face up to elections. So he now has absolute uh, power over that particular part of the portfolio. Look at the collapse of Venezuela and Brazil. So now South America is in a great deal of trouble. You're just going to depress got, us if you keep going, Greg. Can you stop? Yeah. <laughs> you know, look at what's happening in Africa. I mean, uh, there's there's various things happening in Africa which are quite concerning. Uh, the European Union is is struggling to hold up its momentum around change because the members of the European Union are very weary of the change and the and the on, and the whole purpose of the EU yeah. was for peace, right? To stop another war from happening yeah. by yeah. unifying the states into one. So it's it's entirely realistic that we are looking at preconditions for 
for for you know a, a return to war. But I but I think well, we can well, also the say this: the difference between the guns of August and its uh, its sequel, the <laughs> the guns of 1939. The difference is we have nuclear weapons now, and uh, I think there's no question a, war, a, a global war would be disastrous in a way that World War One and Two weren't as bad as they were. Yes, I mean even Putin said that recently, yeah. right? Like even Putin said, everybody like, understands this is this is getting stupid, and yeah. we're going to have a nuclear war if we don't do it. like this is this is the you know essentially you know leader for life of Russia, yeah. um, not in the same way as as Kim Jong uh, or, or sorry as yeah. as President China, Xi. but Kim Jong, yeah. as President. Hey Leo, Xi, Leo, you got something but. sunny? <laughs> uh, yeah, no kidding, huh? This is depressing. Ay, ay, ay. Um, how about the Amazon Scout, a small autonomous six-wheeled delivery robot that's about to take over Snohomish County? These are cute. This is uh, this is coming. I'm, let me show you the video because it's a really cute little video. I wonder though, when I look at this, if uh, this is the world we live in. This is a little little bot that's driving down the sidewalk. Watch out, Grandma! <laughs> Here comes the Amazon Funny. delivery bot. Uh, fortunately, There's been it's some of these. Sorry, go ahead. Leah. It's moving slowly, but I, I still makes me a little nervous. This clearly, by the way, is the Desperate Housewives neighborhood, uh, a phony neighborhood in uh, in in Hollywood. <laughs> and then look, she comes out. I don't know how she knew, but the little bot was out there waiting. Its lid comes yeah. open. She gets her package. It closes the lid very slowly. Watch you for pinching, and then moves on. Is this? I understand why Amazon wants to do this and is promoting this. But is this at all viable? So, it's, Leo, actually, there's that. Uh, okay, wait a minute. One at a time. Let's start yeah, with Brian. We'll ahead. go left to right. Yeah, Brian, go ahead. Brian. Go ahead. I, and and I, I, I'm apologizing for plugging my pod, but I this was the episode we released literally today. Good. I talked to Christopher Mims of the Wall Street Journal about this, yep. Yep. about this exact thing. And the concept being that you're more likely to get a burrito delivered to you for lunch from an autonomous vehicle than you are to commute to work in an autonomous vehicle in the next five years. You're going to get stuff delivered to you by AVs sooner than, than you less you Less likely about. cars, more likely these little babies. Yes, exactly. And so then what? this is what we talked about. There's a whole ecosystem of startups that are doing these little things, um, and the although also Waymo and everyone else is it's it's sort of everyone's you know playing both sides of the fence in case one thing takes off over the other. But so the concept is there's a couple things, and one of them was super surprising to me. Like you're mentioning, like that's the. Um, Desperate Housewives neighborhood because I'm thinking I'm here in Dumbo and Brooklyn and I'm like, well, listen, everyone's going to kick those things off the sidewalk <laughs> yes. here in New York, whatever. Okay, Look, but listen you to can't this. even charge your Tesla anymore because people cut the cords, they park their trucks in the Tesla charging okay, slots. We don't the like thing, these things. This is the thing that surprised me is the the I don't have it in front of me, but in the article he talks about the statistics point out that in suburban areas, yeah. The most underutilized resource in terms of land are sidewalks. Yeah, I know. And so that if you no have one, a thing, no one go, but, but, no one walks anymore. Right. There's that. They're but empty. then also, so then think of what Amazon is also doing: is Whole Foods 
and 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 these sort of go stores or whatever. So what if ten years from now Amazon has you know your gas station just essentially becomes or your corner market or whatever becomes this quasi way station for these tiny bots that go out and make the deliveries. And not even that; it doesn't even have to be just that. You could think of what FedEx and UPS does. You know, FedEx goes to a certain low, uh, like they have to go and the guy runs out the, and delivers the package, whatever. No, the FedEx truck could go to a certain location that the the algorithms It'd be like a merv for, for it would pro- be like 30 packages. different children going out yeah exactly <laughs> uh george mason university just took delivery on 25 food delivery robots they're going to deliver pizza and uh oh and that was the other thing college campuses and retirement communities yeah. would be the first most obvious use for yeah. this yeah. So I actually, the, the funny thing is there's the, one of these that's been in use for, uh, I believe since 2017. Um, it's called Robbie, Robbie.io. Um, I had a Kung Fu fight with one at, at CES last year. Sort of a funny, <laughs> there's a funny picture of, uh, uh, on in my Instagram, uh, of me sort of joking around. Like I was, you know, uh, going to uh, sort of kick one of <laughs> one that was going around uh, CES. And so, um, the, the cool thing is they, it looks, the, the new one, that was the Robbie 1.0. These look I, like the Robbie's. I wonder if they're the same, uh, technology. Yeah, exactly. So, so I, I don't know, maybe Robbie's doing it for them or something. They're little six wheel. It looks two, like a, a Eclu cooler yep. on wheels, basically. Well, they all yeah. look like everything it, that's in the Death Star that's running into people's ankles. <laughs> in that's true. Yes, that's true. That's true. Exactly right. I think one of the one of the questions was like, what happens if just a, a couple of people come, you know, a couple you have one of these running around at night and a couple, you know, thieves come and they're like, hey, let's just pick this thing up, throw it in the back of our van, see what kind of packages are in there. I, I guess there's like on the Amazon one, there's some kind of alarm um, that will, will go off if, if, if you try to pick it up or something. Um, yeah. so it, it's pretty interesting to think about, but clearly this is happening already. The Robbie, like I said, it's, it's, it was developed by these MIT, um, scientists. Uh, it's been in use in the Bay area for at least, I, I think the last, at least almost two years now. It's fascinating yeah, but- how science fiction completely yeah. informs us. It's not that they were right. They predicted it. It's that the people today who are developing this crap all watched this. Here's the star of Wars course. clip. On Let's the Death Star, the little the little Robbie the robot, and of course Chewie goes <laughs> and it runs away. <laughs> remember like, who nope. doesn't remember that, right? That's exactly what they invented. Awesome. <laughs> There's no way I, I'm going to be a I'm going to be a, a down a Dora Downer on this because I think it's the dumbest thing ever. Nice PR stunt though. Um, the, in realistically, if you put these in suburbia, the distances in American suburbs are so large. There's no way these things are going to have the battery life. It's moving pretty slow. Viable. It would take like days yeah. to get across it's town. Gonna, <laughs> right, your average American, you know, your burrito you're will be cold. About, <laughs> yeah, American suburbs. I, everybody's on a quarter of an acre. You're talking five kilometers, I, twenty kilometers. You're just mocking to our get McMansions. Yeah, so your you know your burrito by the time it gets to you isn't going to be in a fit state to eat. <laughs> well, that's I why imagine. it makes sense to do it in a, in a college, yep. I guess, right? And then what yeah, happens yeah, when you start to get five to ten percent loss around these things? What happens when they just trip over on the footpath or the conditions of the I footpath? I think people change? are going to beat them up. I honestly do. Oh, yeah, well, they we know will. people in some, Arizona shoot at the Waymo vehicles. I mean, I think they're just yeah. going to beat the hell out of them. Yeah, there'll be some of that, and but. 
whether that reaches critical mass or not, or who knows. But my point is, is that the footpath can change and then all of a sudden it breaks down. So then they have to send somebody out to retrieve it and redo the pattern because the, there's a, the there's a couple other I mean, things. That most of America, Chris, you guys don't even pay enough taxes to put gutters on roads, much less have pavements. <laughs> there's hey, a couple other things that Chris said that, that pointed out that because they are slower, it's cheaper to, it's cheaper to do the research and development because unlike cars, like if you keep it right. under 20 miles an hour, if you keep it up. So, the reason that I'm saying, and we can make a wager on here right now, if Leo gets a burrito, yeah, before he commutes to uh, do twit, yeah, which would um, get there first, right? So the thing is that Leo lives a kilometer from. His, from I literally his do. I live well. Like, he's going to win because he lives right on top of a food court, right? Yeah, <laughs> he's, yeah. he can walk down for dinner and be back. You know, they're probably specialized work. environments, especially university campuses, where these would yeah. make a lot of sense. Right, right. Yeah, specialized more, environments. More. So let's not let's not conflate a limited use case in a highly controlled well, environment. What is Snohomish, where, Washington like? I mean, is why are they testing it there? Besides the fact that it's near Amazon headquarters, is Jeff Jeff Bezos live there? Is he waiting I for bet his burrito? It's super suburban, looking yeah. like Desperate Housewives neighborhood. But you probably. have uh, Greg has a good point. For instance, in Petaluma. Uh, for a long time, they didn't require developments put in sidewalks. So even just outside of Twit, there are plenty of places where you'd be walking on the street, where Robbie would be going out in the street because there's no sidewalk. And it can't be on the street because it'd have to be a registered vehicle. Right. And I know that because when I bicycle, the bicycle path will frequently just stop. And yeah. Lots of bike lanes here that, in New York. You yeah. can't you can't have a vehicle on a bike lane that goes over twenty miles an hour. There you go. That's so why. I'd I, say uh, a one. So I'd say a one in chance, one in ten chance of success as a widespread. In terms of I a was limited trying to bring up a case. cheerful little yeah. Robbie the Robot subject. Oh, these people in Silicon cheerful. Valley are all stupid. They got more money than sense. <laughs> well, we've, we've we've definitely settled that question. <laughs> uh, let's take a little break. More with uh, our panel. They're wild today. They're on Fuego. Our show today, brought to you quite literally by Cashfly. When you download our podcasts, you are downloading it from our content distribution network, from Cashfly, and man. It is the best. I just love it. We've been using Cashfly for, I think, 10 years. Every month, several petabytes of data are delivered to our listeners, our viewers, via Cashfly, audio and video both. I never get calls at 3 in the morning. The CDN's down. I, I don't have any problems. I've never had a problem with Cashfly. Cashfly delivers rich media content up to 10 times faster than traditional delivery methods because it has a server near your customer. And they're even faster than other major CDNs, up to 30% faster. And because they have so many servers, they can give you a 100% SLA. Cashfly guarantees the best experience for all your customers, no matter where they are, no matter what device they're on. We couldn't be happier with Cashfly. We're not alone, though. Thousands of others trust Cashfly's reliable network, including LG, Microsoft, Adobe, Ars Technica, Petabytes of data. I'm telling you, it is. I love it. I love you, Cashfly. Say goodbye to logging in several times a week just to make sure you haven't gone over your limits or even daily trying to track your CDN usage. Because when you call your Cashfly representative, you'll set up a custom plan tailored to your usage, your needs, based on yearly usage trends. So you don't have to worry about those spikes. Most of us have spiky demand, but Cashfly handles it. In fact, on average, customers who switch to Cashfly save more than 20%. 20%. Just for you, Cashfly is offering you a complimentary detail analysis, no hard sell, of your current CDN bill and usage trends. Just see what you could save. 
twit.cashfly.com. Twit.cashfly.com. We love them, and I know you will too. Twit.cashfly.com. I don't think this is going to calm anybody's uh, blood here, but uh, the first GDPR fines for Google have come in. $50 million. I'm sorry, 50 million mm. euros. Uh, France and uh, Sinil, which is the French uh, regulator, says that according to Sinil, Google is in breach of two provisions of the GDPR. First, by not making its data collection policies more easily accessible. Second, by not obtaining specific user consent. They want, Sinil wants you to say yes to each of Google's services each time, including YouTube, Google Maps, and more. Mm. And the 50 million euros is just the beginning. This was mainly with <coughs> onboarding on a new Android phone. So yes. like the setup process, yeah. Just, you know, think about how many times when you go to a website, you have to click now to say, yes, I know you use cookies. Okay, that's all right. Now, put that on your Android device because <laughs> that's what they're saying. Uh, they're not saying that that information isn't there, that you're not giving permission. They just want it to be more granular. They want you more, you know better, make it more public. I'm not sure I'm against that. Google says uh, they announced late last week that they will appeal. Yeah, and there's a, a sequence of follow-ons from here. Germany's coming up with various... Oh, it's um, just the beginning, uh, kids. Yep. Yeah, it's just the beginning. Yep. We're seeing uh, other court cases come up right the way around the European Union. Uh, there's some going on here in the UK as well. I think uh, one of the things that we're seeing here is sort of a general reaction to the move fast and break things. So if you go out and you break someone's business and then they start fighting back, you shouldn't be surprised and go, oh, I was just having some fun. I was just trying some things out. But, you know, and then the person on the other side says, look at this, you broke my arm. You are at, I'm going to come after you, right? Right. So the, the motto of move fast and break things actually causes damage. And when people fight back, you shouldn't be surprised and go, oh, but – but I did nice things. But what for damage? You. What damage are you talking about? Yeah, you're, well, you're talking I, about the like shopping, the, the, the shopping so from decision. The French point of view, no, I'm talking about the French in the French uh, culture. They're very passionate about defending the French language, the French media, the French way of life, and they uh, very many people in France see Google as destroying their unique francophone lifestyle. Oh Lord, well good. And so this is if, an absolute. If I were Google, I would say, fine, have fun. <laughs> Go enjoy your croissants, read Le Mans, smoke your cigars, and, and yes. <laughs> we'll Google see can't you do later. That because I know they it's can't. a platform. If it can't, if it's they not can't because the internet not. is a global platform. It's international. You can't pick and choose. Yeah. And everyone, you know, everybody's tweets that day were like, "Oh, 50 million euros. That's nothing to to Google," which it isn't. Like you know, like the the FTC fines, the record FTC fines. If uh, Facebook or Google, if Facebook was rumored to be facing um, the FTC's considering fining them, but the only the record FTC fine was only twenty two million dollars. You can only do what the law does, but the what the law allows you to do. But the difference in germ in in Europe, as he was saying, like it's it's a death of a thousand cuts. Right. First, it's mm. France, and, and it could Germany at some point Greece. be more money yeah. because it could be up to four percent of your global revenue, which for well, Google would be billions. Well, and that's if they don't if they don't rectify things right. to the EU's satisfaction. Yes. So How in the UK, the Cambridge Analytica fine on Facebook was two and a half million or a few million dollars. It's like petty cash down the back of the sofa. But there is legislation now moving through the government to turn it into billions. 
How about this one? How about foldable phones? <laughs> Not yet. I want to keep your blood pressure a little higher for a little longer. All right. All right. And then All we'll right. get to foldable phones because they are on the way. Thank you for trying, Jason. I really appreciate it. But I do have one more Google story, which is the Dutch, the Dutch surgeon who was formally disciplined for medical negligence has wanted legal action to have Google remove search results about her case. So her registration on the Register of Healthcare Professionals was suspended by a disciplinary panel. After appeal, it was changed to a conditional suspension. She is currently practicing as a result. But she says, when you search for my name, you find this, a website, which contains an unofficial blacklist, which mentions this. She says it's a digital pillory. And she wants that removed. The Dutch data privacy watchdog agreed. Uh, initially, they said no. But uh, so she went to court and the court said no. She has a surge. The surgeon has an interest in not indicating that every time somebody enters her name on a search engine, that she appears on this blacklist of doctors appears. Uh, Google's claim that most people would have difficulty finding the relevant information on the medical board's big register where records are publicly held court didn't agree what do you think the right the to be forgotten the final paragraph um it basically said that it's not up to google to make the decision about whether or not this happens it's a society's decision and That's in fair. particular it's the medical board so if you go to the last paragraph you'll see the kicker yeah and, um, and that's the point. The point here is that Google's become the judge and executioner um, by putting this data online. That's a very the, loaded way to put it. Google didn't put the data online. The data is online from somebody else. Google's merely a search index showing what's on the if web. If she loses a lawsuit 30 years ago and there's 30 different newspaper articles about her uh, malfeasance or something alleged that you know I don't know this lady but um you couldn't who 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 would think it would be fair to go to every library and um rip all those newspapers out of the library <laughs> so you're saying so, that Google's response so the thing to do is to edit the search results as opposed to bring down this blacklist site for instance yeah so the the point is is that I the medical board I think found BS. her to be the initial you. case said that she was negligent the medical board later ruled that she wasn't but she's still listed on the site then, she can't get then the go site to the site down. she can't why it's in outside the jurisdiction well, sorry of, lady of, but this of, Google's job is not to make up for no, an inability no, absolutely there's good not. reasons why you can't no, go and not. pull that site down it's in a different country why no, should they go to Google you can't treat algorithms as if they're extra extra judicial or outside of politics no, or outside I, of society. That's not, that's not what they're people. saying. That's not what they're saying. They're saying, they are saying you have to modify to the algorithm. No, you're wrong. They're saying that the algorithm has to be uh, responsible as opposed to merely reflecting what's on the Internet. Absolutely. That's the not algorithm. what you want. The minute you do that, then every nation in the world comes to Google and says, well, we want it to reflect our point of view, our point of view, Absolutely. our point of view. And that's exactly what should happen. It's untenable. Algorithms are people. Oh, you you're cannot, completely nuts. If a company can you're be a person. You're completely nuts, Greg. The people that's at nuts. the company 
make the algorithms. The algorithms are people and have to be treated as people. They have to be culpable and legally liable for anything that they do. And that's the only way we're going to move forward because that's how in medical science, when they do an operation, they test it, they validate it. It goes through a very long development process and then it's gradually released to make sure that it delivers the results you expect. And now we've got these jumped up young kids in Silicon Valley releasing algorithms that have these massive societal impacts and then going, you you want to go back to the middle ages. It wasn't my fault. It's just the algorithm. You want to go back to the middle ages. What good is the internet if without a search engine that accurately reflects it? If I had a car and it rolled down the street and smashed into five vehicles causing damage and ran over a family of five, who's who's, who's, who's liable? That's a inept uh, analogy. It has nothing to do with that. No, it's not. It's the same. It's an algorithm that just runs down the road and smashes into the car and runs over people. It's the same thing. In fact, I think you can make a strong argument. Google should be required to accurately reflect the internet. Otherwise, it's editorializing. Because then you're going into libraries and ripping out the newspapers. As like a newspaper only ever had to issue a retraction. They didn't have to go and find every erroneous copy of their newspaper and burn it to the ground. Remove it. Yeah. It's, that it's insane. insane because it's that insane was insane. Because to, that was if you start piecemealing in, search engines, you're never going to have a search engine. You, you what you're asking for, Greg, is insane. It's not even doable. It is doable. Well, it's, it's not. Because it's not Google scalable. Does it every day. It's completely they take unscalable. All the porn out, they take all the child abuse out. They take well, out. I would make the argument. That they feel like, funnily enough, I their agree. algorithms can do it on YouTube. Big and mistake. Do it they should results. have never done that. I agree that Google opened, uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, a can of worms when they started doing that. They shouldn't editorialize at all. They should attempt because to make their algorithm is, is accurately reflect Facebook what's on the internet. Snapchat and Twitter are all media companies. They choose what they publish. Now, just because it isn't a person, well, that's writing where they made the mistake. It, they should never the have done that. The algorithm is a person, and it publishes, and it must be responsible so you, and liable for the decisions it makes. So, what you're saying is that uh, what we're going to have is a search engine that editorializes constantly. And well, that's what it already does. Well, I don't think it already does, and I think you're pushing it, it in the it other direction. It does some of it, which they should not have done. But now you're saying they should do more of it, which is absolutely they insane. You gonna... have to hold these companies liable for the con for the decisions of its algorithm because people made the the company is a legal person. The the algorithms were created by people. The algorithms act like people. They work with people. The algorithms are people. And the companies who produce these algorithms have to take responsibility for them and the outcomes so that they what, produce. What do you they have, must be Greg, scale. in a the world – go ahead. of human knowledge though is just way too – there's no – it's not even conceivable to do it. I mean th there are a few things where they've tried and, and many would argue have failed and where they do try to do it. Uh, and, and, and they try to do it in countries like Iran and China um, and – you know, some would argue that they're successful, but look at the look at the ramifications of that. Um, it, it is the societal ramifications of those things are are significant, and they uh, stifle uh, you know human creativity. They stifle innovation, and, and it's it's barely possible even in those countries, right? To 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 keep it from I, um, it's happening. not Google's job to take down the dictatorship in Iran. That's your job. So. In that case, you think Google should go ahead with its uh, censored search engine in China? Yeah, absolutely. China is China. The politics in China, you have to respect the government of any country in the same way that I have to respect President Trump as the leader of the U.S. nation. And he represents you, like it or not. And in the same case, at any other country in the world, it is not for Google Would or Facebook. Would you say it's Google's job to remove this mention of the French surgeon from just the French Search results, or should they do it from all search they, results globally? They just won that case recently, by the way. I know.
I'm just asking yeah. what Greg thinks. Yeah, he's I think so they should, wrong. If, if if the source has proven that something's wrong, then it should be taken down everywhere. Everywhere, because the information All is right. now false. Right? Now, now and you, but you false. just put Google out of business, and in, in doing in so, destroyed the public internet. And, but the public internet is only a reflection. Like the only reason the papers issued a retraction was because it was physically impossible to go and retract every newspaper and bring it back, right? It's not physically impossible to it's do what you ask. It's not that we don't but want But the that. end what result is want. that you have a bowdlerized internet, which is a bunch of holes. And the only thing yeah. that exists on this so-called search engine is stuff that's approved by every mm. nation in the world. What would that be? It would be back to where we were before the internet came along. That's what you want? Why not? Okay, so we're done with Greg. Why not, right? So why not? What, <laughs> I think, what would be I think so you bad? Just, that's called reductio ad absurdum. You don't want it's an internet. Not, we would still have advanced search engines, content <laughs> available on demand. No, we wouldn't. But there would be We wouldn't have any of that. We would go back to before the internet, you just said. We would go back to the idea of content before the internet where each country <laughs> saw its own view, right? And that's not entirely. Greg, you just talked. You just painted yourself into a completely untenable <laughs> you corner. You understand it's gonna that, happen. right? It's going to happen. The EU GDPR has thing. already started that process. That's a right? terrible thing, and, and it's why I believe Google was now. right to get out of China. And if to Google that, has to get out solution, of Europe, then they should. The, to do that, then the solution would be the algorithms again. Because how are you going to ever do a different internet for every country and every polity in the world? You'd have to rely on the algorithms. I think no, we should go back to Yahoo. A human curated directory. Right. These companies have to be liable for these algorithms. They can't walk up and say, now, "I agree oh, with you wasn't there." The right? Let's take uh, I, I, let's take a time it, out, yeah. and then we're going to talk about foldable phones. Actually, I still want to talk about uh, Facebook's plan. According to the New York Times, this hasn't been confirmed by Facebook to integrate WhatsApp, Instagram, and Messenger. And Mark Zuckerberg's editorial in the uh, World Wall Street Journal saying, "Hands off." We're okay. We're good. We're the good guys. But first, let's take a let's take a little trip down memory lane. It's been an amazing week this week on Twit, and we've got a video to demonstrate that. Previously on Twit. Oh my God! Oh! I don't think snakes yawn. I think they measure. Oh, I saw it. Yeah, but I think she was measuring. She's saying, "Can I get his head in my mouth?" Windows Weekly. Windows 10 Mobile will no longer be supported, the operating system for Windows Phone, as of December 10th of this year. This date's been known for a while. Microsoft updated a support page and actually said on it, Microsoft is recommending users go to Android or iOS. This is kind of the final word, guys. They're giving you explicit written instructions. Don't wait around. Go to iOS or Android. All about Android. The Motorola Razr might be forced ah. to make a comeback, but with a price tag of, and I hope I'll sit down, $1,500. And now a newly discovered patent that was filed on December 17th shows that the design could be a foldable screen inside with a second screen on the outside. I gotta tell you, there's nothing better than hanging up on someone with a flip phone. Oh yeah. That is completely gone. And now you just go, hmm, and you just tap your screen. And it's that's not the same. Twit. Now, where'd I put my Android? <laughs> the snake changed the page to uh, being homeless is better than working for Amazon. <laughs> oh, snakes are capacitive. Look at that. Snake is capacitive. Oh, I, that's really interesting. This, I, are you trying to make a political statement, Snake, about homelessness in Amazon? Wow, that was a very woke snake. <sighs> Our show today, bro. <laughs> 
Brought to you by Eero. My Wi-Fi router, I love it. I think we all know that the uh, the old days of a single router somewhere in the living room, talking to the whole house, those days long gone. We're all using too many internet devices. We're all consuming too much content. You've got the kids watching YouTube in the bedroom, mom and dad watching Netflix in the living room. You've got Aunt Sally in the kitchen. She's trying to download recipes. It's crazy. That's why you need an Eero enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system in your home in just a few minutes. You download the Eero app on your iOS or Android device. It walks you through the process. You set up the base station, and then you add the beacons, and the, and the app will help you place them. The beacons just plug into the wall. What I love about the Eero app is I can see how my network's doing. I can see how it's doing right now from here. I can see what devices are on it. I can pause individual devices, or I can even say all of these devices that belong to our teenager, it's after 10 at night. Let's turn those off. I use Eero Plus, too, which filters all the bad stuff out, captures malware before it gets onto the computer. State-of-the-art WPA2 protection. Eero's already announced they'll be going to WPA3, and they say they can do it in software, which is awesome. That's why it's so cool to have an Eero, because an Eero is upgraded constantly. It gets better all the time. It's always secure. You don't have to remember to update it. It updates automatically. Not only do you have the latest features, you have the latest security at all times. And I have to say, when I, got, when I first got the Eero, I had some questions, and I called them up, and they were great. They stayed on the line with me until I got the port forwarding work and all the stuff. Eero's Eero Plus is actually the thing that put me over the top. So we've had the Eros for a while. In fact, I got the new Eros system when they came out and sent my old system. I set it up for my mom. She's loving her Eros. Eero Plus is a simple, reliable security uh, layer that defends your home devices against malware, spyware, phishing attacks, and, of course, unsuitable content. That's why Michael is not seeing anything adult because it's filtered off. The combination of Eero and Eero Plus gives you complete protection for your network, your devices, for the people who use them. Eero Plus offers the ability to block malicious and unwanted content across the entire network. I do that. I have that turned on. By checking the sites you visit against a database of millions of known threats, Eero Plus prevents you from accidentally visiting malicious sites without slowing anything down. It automatically tags sites that contain violent, illegal, or adult content. You choose what your kids can and cannot visit right in the Eero app. I, I see everything. I know everything from the Eero app, how much bandwidth each device uses. That's fascinating. I could do port forwarding. I could do reservations. I just think Eero's great. And man, no more dead spots, no more buffering. It really works. Never think about Wi-Fi again. You'll get $100. This is a great deal. $100 off the base unit two beacons package. That's the starting point. Plus a year of Eero Plus by visiting Eero.com slash twit. Eero.com slash twit for a hundred bucks off the base package plus a year of Eero plus Eero.com slash twit. Eero.com slash twit. And don't forget to check out with the offer code twit to get that special offer. I know you've been suffering with your Wi Fi. Suffer no longer with Eero. <laughs> this mesh is like the rest. Mesh, mesh with us. <laughs> this is uh, that story about the Razor phone. That would explain a $1,500 price tag if it had a foldable. This is not the phone they'd be talking about. This is the old Razor, which everybody had. I'm sure all you guys had these. Um, I think it's kind of an interesting idea. So let's talk about foldable phones. There's one already available. Uh, they were at CES, the Royal. Yep. Did you see that at CES? 
Yeah, um, and, and CNET just published an article today um, called Foldable Phones Are Real, Here's Everyone We Know About, um, which is a, a great look at everything that's that's there and coming. The Royal Flex Pay is, is the first one um, on the list. And then, of course, you know, Samsung Galaxy, Huawei this week, <laughs> Xiaomi this week. Yeah, too. we saw the Xiaomi CEO in a Twitter uh now, he said that was a yeah. concept phone, but that was a triptych, a right. trifold phone that the two wings folded back. Um, boy, that's wild. There it is. Well, there's, there's the video. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the concept on this. Do you want like this? Do you think this is a good well, thing? No, this is partly why I wanted to talk about it. Um, not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I'm still trying to wrap my head around why I'd want it and not really why I'd want the ones that are probably going to come out in 2018 because those I don't think many of us really want um because I worry that they're going to be janky that the i mean I, exactly how many times can you bend that screen before it starts showing wear on the hinge yeah right? it's also really thick and you know um although we've liked bigger phones it's sort of a, the the bigger phone thing has been a little weird um and, and counterproductive uh, counterintuitive over the past few years i think Thicker is not something people want, you know, that, that just try to stick in your pocket, something like that right. is not very um, practical. Now, but when, 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 uh, when thinner, yeah, when Samsung showed its foldable phone in the kind of the sneak peek, and of course, we're going to find out more on February 20th when they have their event, it yep. looked pretty thick, but he said, oh, this is in a special case. So it's hard mm. to say. I, yeah, if thicker is not going to solve anything. No, but if... If I had a phone the size of my phablet today, right, and then somehow it also could um, kind of like the the Xiaomi um, uh, prototype piece, um, if somehow it could, you know, the screen could essentially double itself. Um, when I was ready to sit down and read something or do some work or do some bigger typing or whatever, I mean, we've. There have been an insatiable appetite for big screen phones, right? Because you can they are more productive. You can do more things with them once you have more screen. And so this is like the phablet run amok. That this whole yeah. idea of uh, uh, of the folding phone is really an extension of the phablet phenomenon. And I'm just try trying to wonder, and this is why I'm sort of throwing it out to you all of like, what does that give me? It, just assuming we get to that world where today's, you know um phablet you know this one or this one can double its screen size uh how compelling is that it's obviously it's obviously doubling the screen size when you need it or want it right and it, it's, it's yeah. it almost goes back to the argument of ipod versus cell phones so why not make them both the same so why have a tablet and and, and a, 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 a smartphone Th that's the most yep. obvious thing but you know what here's the reality <laughs> forget about what we would maybe have a use for it is the reason these are coming is because no one's been able to differentiate a phone for at least five right. years now. Right. They all look exactly yep. identical. And so guess what? I I bet people are going to have a reasonable amount of success because people are going to be like, you know what? Look at me. I have the one phone in my friend <laughs> circle that looks different than all y'all's phones. <laughs> Why don't they make a and triangular phone? Fashion aspect. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's very important, um, not necessarily in the US, uh, but in some cultures, phones are status items. And if you've got a unique item 
that actually is part of a cultural status thing where you want to be able to show off that you've got that. I believe that to be the case in certain parts of China and uh, uh, other places in Asia. So maybe it'll just sell think, as a status object as opposed yeah. to something useful. That's right. Mm. It might be something that More only reliable. lasts for six to 12 months before right. you you move on to something else, you know, fashion type item. And Apple's been trying to sell phones as fashionable fashion accessories for some time. It's kind of the their, size of my, uh, my, 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 yeah. Paper planner, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, I think you know, so. And it opens up, also, and look, it's foldable. I got a big screen. <laughs> and the second part is that for some people, smartphones are their computers, and indeed, a television and a book. Right. And if you want something that does all of those things, then perhaps there's a trade-off there. So, uh, this is a case of I think testing the market to see if the idea can let. T catch on, and if it does, they can then iterate around it. So I'm going to make a again, prediction. You know, yep. I'm going to make a prediction. Those? We're not going to see a single foldable phone at next year's CES. Not one. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like 3D TV. It's just going to disappear without a trace. Maybe a few bubbles. That's it. Go ahead, oh, Brian. There's, there's been a lot of wagers that going on here, so yeah. I don't know, Leo. I don't know that I like that one at all. You like that? You <laughs> want a foldable? Who here wants a foldable phone? I don't. No. Have you seen those articles though about how um, in in the Indian uh, cell phone market um, that that the I can't remember. Uh, boy, you know, but the the amount of hours that they spend on video. The point that that Greg just made about how. Um, like so, if it's your entertainment devices, if this is how you are consuming all of your entertainment and your media, so that then it fits in your pocket and you 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 do your daily business, and then at night, I'm not saying it replaces your TV, but you maybe live in a country where you don't have a big screen TV or whatever. Like so, why wouldn't you want to fold uh, unfold this thing yeah. and have a bigger screen? There's a lot of what reasons. What happens if your what happens if your house is just a room? Right. 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 Mm, so if you're right. if, well, if in you fact, in Japan, in a... uh, before uh, smartphones, even they've had because that's a big issue in Japan, larger phones that did a lot more. Right. Am I, am I wrong on that? That was a very popular pre-smartphone product in uh, Japan. Um, I, just... I think it's also to do with the, the the use of emojis and the the characters. You, Instead of using right. uh, letters like we do, they Western use pictograms. Yeah. yeah. So the larger screens. As I understand it, and please, I don't want to pretend that I'm an expert here, but from what I've researched and read, is that they tend to go for the larger screens because it makes more sense for the the local the local conditions. Yeah, look at these uh, images of cell phones from Japan, and you'll get you'll get some idea. Um, they all have, you know, kind of extra display capabilities. Those were the ones that for years we would see and everyone was trying to sell us on mobile computing and, yeah, nobody and all wanted of us them. were like yeah. we're like we don't want that. Right. Yeah. yeah. The OQO. Yeah. But that's cuz we were that. entering data with T19. Right. The OQO, <laughs> you know? I remember that too. Yeah. And today yeah. you can do yeah. it a lot more with voice. You, you know, some people are turning to voice as an alternative to the keyboards and a lot of people have gotten better with the alphanumerics like the touch sensitive screens make more sense. So I think there is some transition there. There's no Innovation as such, just a transition as we do make marginal improvements on them. This is 2009. This, this uh, these phones were. Leo, this could phones. be innovation, is what I'm saying. Like I, I'm, I'm with you in the sense that like it, it's probably unreliable right now or whatever. But like, are you saying that it wouldn't be innovation to have different screen sizes depending on when you needed it and your use case? Let me think about that. Uh, if so, we, we there's some conditions. Obviously, it can't be thick. 
So if it's not much bigger, if it's something like an existing phone. Right, if we phone, can get there. If we can unfolds, get there, no one's saying yeah, yeah, this yeah, first yeah. generation. I, 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 I grant you that. So the first generation yeah. probably be wanky. And this is based yeah. on AMOLED screens that can reliably bend and unbend uh, without damage and showing, you know, wear of any kind. Okay. Um, but there's some I don't see myself problems. opening yeah. it up, to be honest with you. I feel like... Uh, a, a Galaxy Note 9 or uh, the, the iPhone XS Max, that's that's fine. That gets the job done. Maybe it, maybe I'm just not mm. open-minded enough. That's kind of... So So there's also ergonomic issues with them, too. Or right. not, I don't know if ergonomic is the right way to say it, but you, you know how... Usability <laughs> tablets, issues. yeah. Yeah, usability. Thank you. you. You know those tablets where you flip them over and... When you have to hold them and you feel the keys on the back, yeah, I hate that. I hate that. Too. I hate that. I have a I yoga. Cannot, I, I have a, a I, Lenovo I just, yoga, and I never do that for that reason. Or I can't either. I yeah. can't stand you know any ergonomics that you end up doing that. Right. And and I feel like that's my worry with these foldable phones. If this thing folded over and then okay, I'm always holding it where yeah. I've got the screen is on the back, but it's not on unless I flip it over it's like i'm not gonna like that i i know because of the way that these tablets you know uh do that i'm gonna stand it, by my prediction that this is exact you're exactly right this is an industry that's desperate for something new and different some 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 differentiator and so they're gonna throw a lot of spaghetti uh, against the wall this is this is a this is a noodle that's gonna flop back down the floor, maybe maybe they've spent so much money developing foldable screens they're desperate to find a place uh, that's to part of it, that money. right do you mm, remember sure. the curve, curve screen did you see any curved screens at ces i have no. a curved screen samsung at home it's dopey you have to sit <laughs> in the exact middle of yes. it right all there it, is some all it succeeds in doing is making the reflections from the window go farther <laughs> yeah, there's some curved screen monitors like computer monitors because you're always sitting in the middle that of those. That makes sense. It makes yeah, that perfect makes sense. sense there. Yep. Perfect sense. On a TV, yeah. it, it makes no sense at there all. Were, you guys, I, you're rarely sitting in the do middle. Do you guys have CES PTSD? <laughs> that may be. I did not go this year, but I was told there were no curved screens. Not. You're right there, for computer there were, monitors, but there, there weren't any curved TVs. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That was a good example of a differentiator that didn't take off. Mm. But yeah, but TVs, I mean, you know, like you said, 3D TVs, all that stuff. Th TVs are a different kettle of fish. And by the way, I'm not sold on this at all. And I don't want you to think that I'm arguing for this because I want one so desperately bad. But I can see that there might you know be what? some potential here. Yeah. Maybe maybe it's just because I'm tired of seeing the same old dumb stuff for five years that I, I kind of want something new to, to happen in the smartphone space. Actually, that's one of our stories is that uh, we're kind of at we've reached peak phone. Sure, and, and that it's all going to get weird now as everybody desperately tries to find something. Forty-eight megapixels this yeah. week that just came out. Right, Have phones um, become too but, boring. Well, they're about to get weird. I think honestly, the phone's going to stay the way it is, and that wearables, and it's not it's not around the corner. It's going to be five years off, but wearables no are the future. Well, an Internet of Things, right? The Internet of Things is going to take a lot of these things that are in the phone today right. and, and move it off of the phone to um, other parts of the ecosystem. Does 5G um, change this? The fact that we, if this ever, another thing that may or may not happen. What do you think, Greg? Is 5G going to happen next year? No, it's going to start 
It'll be a slow, gradual rollout, yeah. probably five to 15 years. What? Depending on where you are in the world. That long? Yeah. Oh, yes. They haven't even finished the 5G standards yet. I'll be dead and by so then. And so you won't see any purchase. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, and in terms I'm of what five G delivers, well, I mean, actuarially, I probably will be. I'm just saying. <laughs> and really, the only thing five G is going to give you is more bandwidth. So that, that's but, it. The, but now, don't dismiss Lower that because see more things more on the bandwidth. Network. It's going to give you, yeah, yeah. It does. It does can change it things. You didn't have no. until high speed internet was widely available in homes. You didn't have Netflix. You didn't have any yes. of this. Right. This is. It does change yes. things. Yes, bandwidth has – the key thing that people miss about bandwidth is it has two key scientific properties. One is volume, how much you can fit down the pipe. Right. And the second one is speed. Right. So, yes, greater bandwidth not only lets you put more down the pipe, it also lets you put it, the, the, the traffic down the pipe faster, right? So, right. yes, you do get improved speed, latency. You also get more capacity. So whenever you talk about bandwidth, two-vector argument, not a, a single-vector argument. That's a which good point. Make, 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 we all often think I don't know. I thing. mean, in Europe, 4G was so mean to you guys in Europe. I think that maybe you're underestimating 5G a He's little bitter. bit. He's bitter. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, one uh, – a, so a couple of I do old – think Go ahead. So, so 5G, there are many things about 5G that the telcos want to have. They want to be able to take the, the idea of bandwidth and sell it as services and create more revenue for themselves or find a way to differentiate themselves. They don't want to become electricity companies. So a lot of what you read yeah. about this is telcos going, oh, if we could do this, we could build a service that charges more money. Or if we could do that, we could do that, you know, or we could and, – and I think just like 4G, we saw what all the same things that they're doing now. Quibi. Yeah. Short form. Yeah. Sorry, I just I just went to the next story. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> what so actually that, so is So I believe Quibi? that ultimately the, the, the real factor in the consumer market is just going to be more bandwidth in more places at, a, at about the same price as we pay for it today. And there are some possibilities that well, we might see some differentiation elsewhere. Self-driving vehicles. And lower latency too. 5G. Lower latency. Yep. Lower latency is important for if you're driving a car and cars are communicating Video with one games. another. And yeah, There's, they won't do any know, of those things. <laughs> cars have to be autonomous; they can't communicate with they each other. They can't communicate with each other. Well, they, that's it, one of the chief benefits of autonomous vehicles. It, yeah, but if they start to communicate with each other, you can't guarantee that you're going to get data from the neighboring car, so you can't rely on that. What if the neighboring car is not compatible with your standard or it's faulty in some way? But isn't that way? what 5G is promising, right? That's what I've been sold. That And that is absolutely a load of bunk. There's not one autonomous car maker that cares about 5G. Only the 5G yeah, I, people care about autonomous cars because they think they can sell them a, a premium enhanced service and none of the car makers are talking to the 5G people about using that service. I mean, it's not bunk. It's just one of those visions that the um, that that has a lot of steps that has to that have to be dealt with before the reality is there. But, um, far, you know, the combination of edge computing. A lot of people talk <laughs> about the end of traffic congestion speed. because you have cars that communicate with one another. You get to a four-way stop. The cars know which one should go first. You're saying a car needs to be a, a standalone uh, you know, an island, but I think there is a lot to be said for cars that can communicate oh, yeah. with one another, right? One biggest, What's your intent? Yeah, we the, don't. We have to infer what the intent of the guy ahead of us and the guy behind us is, but a car could theoretically yeah. query other vehicles, so, right? So one of the biggest things that happened at CES and very quietly um, was uh, Qualcomm has this technology um, called uh, 
vehicle to everything. It's C2VX. Um, it is a, a, a standard that combines uh, vehicle to vehicle and vehicle to infrastructure um, technology. Um, Ford came on stage and said, we're going to put this across our entire range of vehicles in 2022, um, which means if Ford does it, the others are going to follow and, and do the same. So um, this enables literally vehicles to see around corners, right? Um, there are 1.3 million auto deaths uh, globally every year still, um, which, you know, when we look back a long time from now, it's oh. going to be pretty horrifying oh, to terrible. us. Terrible, right? yeah. Yeah. Um, that we that we just that we lived with this every year. So so this technology, the, the vehicles can talk to the roads, the vehicles can talk to buildings, the vehicles can talk to other vehicles. They can talk to lights. They can talk to stop signs. They can talk to all of it. So, um, you know, literally you can see around the corner, you're about to go through a, a, a light or, or a stop sign um, that, that's green. Sorry, a, a light that's green. Somebody else has a, a red light coming but you can't see them because of the building and they're about to run that red light and then they're going to T-bone you. And you know, those side right. impact accidents right. are the ones that are most fatal. Right. Um, well with the road, um, you know, communicating with you with the building communicating, perhaps even the other car communicating, um, that is what enables that car to then stop and, and not get hit, um, by that vehicle. Well, and that, imagine, you know, I mean, isn't that kind of in a way the promise of IOT in general is as you, as computing moves to the edge, communication is going to be vital. The ability for all of these smart entities in our life to communicate rapidly and effectively with one another. I agree with you, Greg. We've got to get a standard, but it looks like this is Yeah, there, one, there's one a lot standard. of work. I'm not belittling what Greg's saying because so, there's a lot of work that needs to be done before any mm -hmm. of these things happen. But I, but I do think that the... Um, that, that the possibility is not um, pie in the sky or um, something that's not possible. And it's there just are, as you point out, very significant benefits. 1.3 million deaths. So let me, let me give you a hypothetical. You're in uh, regional Australia. You're 500 kilometers from the nearest town. What's 5G going to do for you? Well, <laughs> if you're in the Amazon jungle too, but given – the okay. fact that the You're vast majority of urban network suddenly and the five network you can bring up those kinds of goofy counterexamples, but the majority of Earth's populations live in big urban centers where there's yeah. real value. There's places oh, yes, where there's but no electricity. You're not going to use five G right, for that. Right. You're going to use local Wi-Fi or local communication systems. Yeah. They're going to be a microcell, and it's not going to sure. belong. It's going to belong to the local traffic company or the local traffic agency or the town or whoever operates the traffic lights, it's not going to be part of the 5G network. Why would I pay a telco to run this? I can just do it in my traffic light with an antenna on top. Sure. I mean, and, and the future networks are likely uh, a combination of, you know, 5G is going to cover a lot more places with a lot better bandwidth, uh, you know, much cheaply, much more cheaply. Um, but you know, part of the future too is going to be combinations of of still things like white spaces and uh, you know other types of technology where we still we still have a lot of work to do on some of this last mile. Yeah. Um, All of these things that they're talking the about in five G, we had before G. They were trying to talk about small cells. They were going to talk about mobile base stations and blah blah blah, and none of them turned up. So, and there's no I, reason I to think that anything them. changed this time around. Uh, I wouldn't say none of them changed. I, I think a, I mean the the three G to four G bump was you know 
three to five X speed bump that was meaningful that led to new businesses that nobody ever anticipated, um, before, you know, that jump happened. And, you know, with 4g to 5g, we're talking a 10 X to a hundred X bump. And so that's going to enable all kinds yeah, of, yeah, no, no, I, I've already agreed with you that bandwidth gives us better speed and better volume and better latency, right? Because bandwidth is a function of speed and capacity. But the point is, is that other people are trying to sell us network slicing or value-added services around small cells or localized cells. Now, that's sure, going to give you sure. greater coverage inside of a building and increase the bandwidth. But the only thing it all does is increases the bandwidth. It doesn't suddenly give the, the radio waves magical powers to read your mind or something like that. It's Greg, just sure, sure. Greg, one thing I will agree with you 100% on is I cannot imagine how much we've had to suffer because the telecos refuse they rage, rage, rage against this idea that they're just dumb pipes. Yeah, they don't <laughs> want to be a pipe. How long do we have yeah. to suffer before yeah. they learn that lesson? Yeah, yeah. Well, right. hopefully, with if you, as long as you guys stop boosting five G, then that'll be where they go. <laughs> oh, it's our <laughs> fault. Oh, you blame yeah, us. Stop do pretending five G is anything but electricity, because that's what it is. Uh, Zuckerberg, according the to the Friday New York Times, that's interesting how they 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 give the credit to Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg plans to integrate WhatsApp, Instagram, and Facebook message messenger. I thought that was super interesting too. Yeah, why Weird. do they? Why don't they say Facebook? Yeah. Weird. Mm. Anyway, uh, this uh, is Mike Isaac, who's well sourced, a San Francisco writer for uh, the New you York Times. You know why that's weird, Leo? Why? Because remember, the whole idea is this year, all of these founders left Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp founders. And yeah. we always read that it was because there were clashes with Zuck and, and right. And, 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 and they didn't want their products integrated in this way. Right. They didn't want to join the Borg. And so either that's a leak from someone that's going oh, after Zuck. Oh, you're right. Or oh, you're so PR smart. That is Zuck is, you know what? I'm going to own charge. This. I'm in charge yeah, here. Exactly. Yeah. The move has the potential to redefine how billions of people use the apps to connect with one another while strengthening Facebook's grip on users' rights, Mike, raising antitrust, privacy, and security questions. It also, this is the key sentence, underscores how Mr. Zuckerberg is imposing his authority over units he once so, vowed to leave alone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm. This is I think that's a very worst. powerful point, but the antitrust is the big one. I think Zuckerberg is moving so that he can't be broken up. Well, one member of Congress tweeted, this is exactly why we should have paid closer attention to the WhatsApp and Instagram acquisitions, because in fact, that's exactly what's going to happen is this consolidation and mm -hmm. Facebook's going to be totally dominant. There's no way Facebook yeah. could do an acquisition in the next 18 months, a major one. Uh, the I disagree because yeah, I think it's a climate. Happen. I think we're in a climate now where if you're going to do it, do it now. Mm. Oh, right. Yes. Right? The U.S. Closes. government yeah, has yeah. other fish to fry, so to but speak. But what would they buy? What, what's worth buying? Anything that's a threat. What, nothing, at the nothing at this point. <laughs> no, <laughs> Maybe they're no. big Snapchat? enough they don't need to. Yeah, pretty much. There's I, I not think too much that they could buy. I mean, they could go and buy what's left of Yahoo. From if Verizon, something, TikTok, if content, something comes but, along yeah. that it poses yeah. a threat, if something's got a large user base, that's what they've done, basically. Each of these services has billions of users if you combine yeah. them. And by the way, this is not confirmed by Facebook. This is 
uh, Mike's reporting. But if that <laughs> happens, that could, that be you'd be have a behemoth now of users. I there, think. Well, but remember, and by the way, this is good for users. I would be thrilled if I could use WhatsApp to talk to Facebook Messenger and use Instagram to talk to WhatsApp. That, right, that's so we a need good to be thing. clear. They're not no. combining the apps. No, they're, they're combining the infrastructure. Right. Talk exactly. to each other. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. fair enough. By the fair way, enough. another good thing for end users. Zuck, according to this article, is going to insist on end-to-end -end encryption for all three. That's a Maybe. good thing. Yeah, and that in face Maybe. of Australia and others Does who it, say you can't do but it. But he's also – so what you're saying there is you've got to remember too that Facebook Messenger has end-to-end -end encryption, but it's not um, safe or, or private encryption. It's just end-to-end -end encryption. Yeah, Facebook Between still has access Facebook, to the keys, right? as does WhatsApp. Yes. Right. Yeah, but WhatsApp is actually end-to-end -end so that They're Facebook using can't signal. get into the mess. So, so Facebook the, the, doesn't have WhatsApp uh, keys? No, okay. can't get into the data of okay. WhatsApp. So that's why they can't monetize it and put ads against it. So the fear is it's not that Facebook Messenger will come up to the, a, right. a better level of encryption. The it's more likely around. they're going to take the WhatsApp yeah. and take it down to Facebook. And that also solves a few things because the give to the governments might be, oh, Mr. Government, we're merging them together. But Please don't antitrust us better, and break us up. a better view inside the content. Yeah. We will give you legal intercept, yeah. legal and lawful intercept. Sure. Yeah. There you go. And if they did that, then the governments are going to be like, ooh. But as I went, I told my daughters, I was talking to my daughters about this today, and they just went like, we just stopped using Snapchat. Uh, sorry, we just stopped using uh, WhatsApp and Instagram and find something else. Yeah, I, I think that, that this is a step toward them, trying to bring them together, clearly. Um, and, and the number one reason behind it is, is likely because Facebook – it is just dead in the water under with people under 30 um and yeah. whatsapp and instagram are not right uh but you know facebook to, to all of those users they're allergic to facebook right facebook is the the network that my parents and my uncles and aunts and right. grandmas on right? right and so they don't they don't want to be there i think to to you know to the point that I think if you do, that the users will flee and go somewhere else. And and that's what, uh, uh, you know, Facebook as a brand is is essentially already a ticking time bomb because young new users and young users. Which is why right, the time bomb, not just not with its, its younger users, but also with government regulation, which is why mm. Mark Zuckerberg wrote yeah, this yeah. Wall Street Journal opinion piece, the facts about Facebook. <laughs> You're so did you wrong. Kara, did you see Kara Swish's version of this? No. What'd she say? Uh -uh. <laughs> Let me look it up. We you. need your information for operation and security, but 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 you control whether we use it for advertising. <laughs> People consistently tell us, writes Mark, that if they're going to see ads, they want them to be relevant. That means we need <laughs> to understand their interests. And you know, we don't sell that to anybody because, well, that's how we make money. We have a strong incentive to protect people's information from being accessed by anyone else. They don't do a very good job of it, but we have a strong incentive of it. Um, what do you think? Of, this is obviously aimed at both governmental uh, regulators in the U.S. and in Europe. Right, because oh, now, number one, he's not going to he's not going to publish this in the New York Times because he hates the New York Times now. But number two, everyone at Davos is more likely to read it in the Wall Street ah, Journal. Ah, anyway. Davos. And then, good point. so then this ties into what we were just talking about is because if he sees regulation coming and he's working the refs and then you can do the old Microsoft thing of like, well, a year from now, if you try to have me break off Instagram or whatever, like as we're saying, 
Um, it's it, well, no, they're all one code base. We can't do that. They're they're completely integral. But here's the other thing, and I'm going to totally quote the person that turned me on to this. Sarah Fryer said that remember Zuck still likes the real identity part of social media, which I do too. To be honest with you. And well, but also if you're selling ads against someone's yeah, real life, a lot easier. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Twitter doesn't know the, who so, the hell you are. Right. So, OK, number one, this solves a lot of problems. Right. So, number one, um, uh, governments were, were, were uh, being nice and, and blah, blah, blah. And also, uh, by the time you actually bring the hammer down on us, our code base is unified and. Also, it's easier for advertisers. They don't have to spend on several different platforms. It's one right. platform. But then uh, that's the bottom line is that he he's chopping off – as we know, he bought the threats to his business. Okay. Yep. But it's still not the pure business. So if Facebook, as was just being said, is not where the kids are at or where the growth is at or whatever, the problem that they still needed to solve was they had – created their well-oiled business model but these other arms of the business were not in that perfect business model so boom chop that off and now you're you're going to be integrated into the sort of you know slicing and dicing uh selling ads against every interest and thought that you ever had in your head that that facebook has done so it doesn't matter if everyone leaves facebook because boom they're gonna fix that yeah well if you're gonna leave facebook you have to leave whatsapp and instagram too or you haven't left Facebook at all. Yeah. What I learned when I deactivated my Facebook account is it doesn't deactivate Facebook Messenger. Right. It's completely it's independent. Completely independent. Yeah. I think uh, I, I read the whole article and I just saw somebody who's going like, what I've been doing is working really well. And just because you don't <laughs> like it, you can just go and suck it up. And no, no, he wasn't that. That's he was. No, it was quite the opposite. He was saying, "Really, this is the best for all of us." You, 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 yeah. you just don't understand if you think there's anything yeah. wrong with what we're doing. That's why he wants to do that Oprah show. Remember, that's his this year's uh, resolution: is that he's going to have TED talks or whatever. Yeah. Where he's going to talk, talk to everybody. To he's not going to listen, but, but he's going to talk. If you only understood what I want. You'd as agree. Yeah. 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 You just, yeah. I'm just Carlos misunderstood. Carlos, we did a great job of taking it down. I, I put it into the show notes oh, if you want to have a look at it. I'll, but I'll uh, it, yeah. it's right at the bottom of the Facebook section. But it's just tremendous. She's basically saying, you know, you're an idiot. <laughs> Stop being childish. Because it does read, the whole article reads incredibly childish. It's she obviously, says, Mark Zuckerberg, let me fix that op-ed you wrote. <laughs> I can tell the people what it is you're really trying to say. Oh, boy. <laughs> 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 uh, she, so read that. I, I think ultimately what's happening here is that uh, they've decided to bunker up. They, they're pulling back. Now, the flip side of it here is, uh, and I'll put a prediction out here, is how long is it before Facebook domiciles itself in Singapore or Indonesia just to get away from the U.S. government and being harassed all the time? So mm. if if I'm going to be harassed by the U.S. government and it's going to try and regulate me. And well, that hasn't I, even I'm started in, yet, though, by the way. <laughs> Kara, by the way, okay, first paragraph, he's – when I started Facebook, I wasn't trying to build a global company. I just wanted to bring people together. Kara says, this is what he's really saying. We're old now. We big now. It came from my one really good idea. AOL sucked and I could do better, and I did. Now the noise has reached me up on Billionaire Mountain, so I'm going to have to pretend I care. <laughs> no rich person. No rich yes. person is going to pay too much for this muffler um, social media service. And poor people aren't going to pay us at all because they apparently don't have any money. So everyone will have to endure the ads we shovel out and stop griping because free ain't free, people. 
<laughs> People consistently tell me if they're going to see ads, they want them to be relevant. Kara says, we have a lot of data, a lot, so much, especially about Spanish gardeners, which is, by the way, for some yeah. reason, Mark, Mark <laughs> brings up... People who like pages about gardening and live in Spain is one of the categories. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mm. The internet also, Mark writes, it's, it's allows us like far gardening. greater transparency and control over what ads you see than TV, radio, or print. Kara says, sure, we give you tools to control the ads you see, but they're akin to the instructions you got to program your VCR back in the day. Thus, the modern-day version of a blinking night you never fix. It's a yeah. She's got a takedown, all right, uh, and, yeah, and a good one. I mean, to be honest with you, when is somebody going to put an adult in charge of Zuckerberg so that he can't write this no. stuff and get away with it? I mean, it's just so it's, badly it's, done yeah, but, and but, so out of touch. Who's like, the adult? I mean, Sheryl Sandberg. Who's the adult? But she's obviously lost control of him. She's given up and backing out of the whole thing. I think she just can't take the pressure, and she knows she's going to get burned. So maybe she's pulling back. So Mark wrote, "For us, technology has always been about putting power in the hands of as many people as possible. If you believe in a world where everyone gets an opportunity to use their voice and an equal chance to be heard, where anyone can start a business from scratch, then it's important to build technology that serves everyone. That's the." world we're building for every day and our business model makes it possible. Kara says the real power is in the hands of one person, which would be me. I am founder. I am chief executive. I control 60% of the stock that matters. I control the board, so stop complaining, especially you Spanish gardeners. <laughs> the end. You're right. I didn't read that. That's a good, must have been in today's paper. That's a good takedown. Yeah, she's uh, she's doing a great job. And as she says, that, yes, let's not forget that for all our criticism of Facebook, let's remember that Facebook has been a great – a force for good and a force for – and just because it's failing in US and in Europe because it's losing touch with what uh, people really want, it's also absolutely huge in other parts of the world. People in need South it. America, yeah, Africa. People rely on it. I agree. Asia, yeah. yeah. It's not so an easy answer. So just remember – yeah. One of the things I want to say to people who are watching is don't get bunkered just because you're a, Euro, a European or you're a U.S. citizen. Start thinking globally instead of regionally. And just because you don't like it in the in in the in terms of the context that you live in in the U.S. or in Europe doesn't mean it's not huge somewhere else. Um, so be be aware of that. Be sensitive to that. Kara also points out that Mark's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. If he doesn't say anything, people get upset. Yeah. And if he says yes. anything, people get upset. So there's nothing. No, but Mark he's kind of he's but he's, he's earned money. that opprobrium. Yeah, oh, well, he's earned that opprobrium. Oh, you know, he's consistently messed this up year in year yeah. out. Yeah. Um. You know, based on the evidence, every time he does something, he messes up. Right. He, he he needs. You know, it's time to put somebody else in charge of the business so that the company can sincerely embrace some change because he just seems to keep being doing the same thing over and over and thinking. Well, if I'm, I'm just going to do it again until they get it because right. I know best. I'm going to take you all right. with, you know, tell right. you what you need to know. Let's take a little I mean, break. And then words. We will, uh, we will wrap yeah. things up with our great panel joining us from Tech Memes Ride Home Podcast. Brian McCullough, his uh, new book about uh, the history of the internet is a must-read and available everywhere. Is there an audible version of uh, how the internet yes. happened? All yes, right. not re not read by me, thank God. All right, we'll look for that because uh, I know I like to listen. How the Internet Happened from Netscape to the iPhone. It's great to have you, Brian. Jason Heiner, Editor-in-Chief of Tech Republic. Always a pleasure to have you, Jason. You're, you're one of my, my heroes. Do a great job there <laughs> at CBS Interactive. And uh, Greg Farrell. That. 
No, you are. I, you know, you you got me elected president of the internet, and for that I'm eternally. You're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're kind of like my Steve Bannon. <laughs> Only shaved or something. I don't know. Oh my goodness! Uh, yeah. And Greg, I Farrow, do read my audio book by the way. Sorry. Yes, and do a very good job, I might add. Oh, thank you. And Greg Farrow is also here from the Packet Pushers Network, a great podcast network for people who love. The uh, network, packetpushers.net, at Ethereal Mind on the Twitter. Our show today brought to you by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage. Being able to efficiently and affordably store data, and man, data is crazy these days. There's an estimated 163 zettabytes of data by 2025. Being able to store that data efficiently and affordably is critical for businesses. Companies need to store it in the cloud, but of course there's concerns Wasabi addresses these concerns because it has disruptive technology that's turning the industry on its ear. This revolutionary process lays data on disks sequentially as opposed to in blocks. That means their storage, Wasabi's storage, is 80% cheaper and six times faster than Amazon S3. It's incredibly simple. There's just one tier of service. And some of the things you get, things like unlimited free egress, no charge for API calls. And one of my favorite features is immutable storage these are things i love immutable storage means you can you can say hey that stuff i just put there that can't be changed no malware can change it no fumble fingered employee can delete it that's immutable 11 nines data durability and up to six times faster than aws what it's just as secure and in fact in i would say in most cases more secure than your on-prem storage HIPAA compliant, FINRA compliant, CJIS compliant. And if you do have a ton of data to migrate, get the Wasabi ball. You just put it on the ball, send it to Wasabi. You can migrate petabytes of data simply, quickly, and securely. Look, I understand this is a new name and a, and a new company. You don't know them. I just want you to put them on that list. If you're shopping for cloud storage and you got the big three on there, and I, I know you do, just add one more. And I'll tell you what. The boss might really be thrilled when you say, hey, boss, 80% cheaper and six times faster. You could try it right now, free for 30 days. If you go to the website, you'll see it's a terabyte of data. But if you use the offer code TWIT, it's unlimited. There's no limit. Store it all up there. See how it works. See how fast it is. Wasabi.com. If you're a business and you need to put your stuff in the cloud, you need to do it fast, affordably, you got to check them out. W-A-S-A-B-I, Wasabi.com. Six times faster than S3. One-fifth the price. You're going to love it. Wasabi.com. Just add them to the list. Check it out. That's all we ask. Use the offer code TWIT for free unlimited storage for a month at Wasabi. Wasabi.com. Google is going to the Supreme Court. I think this is an important case, so I wanted to highlight it. You may remember they lost the Oracle suit over Java. It wasn't about using Java. It was about whether... An API can be copyrighted. Whether somebody can take, for instance, the Java API and duplicate it, Google petitioned the Supreme Court saying, you've got to review this. Here's their argument. Unless the Supreme Court corrects these twin reversals, this case will end developers' traditional ability to freely use existing software interfaces, APIs, to build new generations of computer programs for consumers. Did I just mention Wasabi uses the S3 API? Yeah, Amazon probably doesn't like it. But an API is public. 
That's the whole point of an API, and that's good for everybody. Just like we all learn to use Google Writes computer keyboard shortcuts, developers have learned to use the many standard interfaces. By the way, this is them explaining to justices that average 83 years old <laughs> what an API is. <laughs> developers have used, learned to use the many standard interfaces associated with different programming languages. Letting these reversals stand would effectively lock developers into the platform of a single copyright holder, in this case Oracle, akin to saying that keyboard shortcuts can only work with one type of computer. Is that an apt description, Greg Farrow? And are they right? I think so. I think in this case, Oracle's lawyers got one over Google's lawyers and uh, managed to get away with it. Oracle, of course, was defending its Java and the control of the Java ecosystem at the time. Android was written in Java and Oracle wanted to, ex to uh, extract some money from Google. Um, and Oracle knows how to play these games. They're incredibly smart about this and have really good lawyers. Um, and in this case, I think that they got um, got one over Google and Google has to do this, I think, not just for itself, but for the internet at large. Because if they lose this, then they can't actually read my website and scan for search data. Right. I remember uh, we interviewed Jonathan Schwartz, my, the last uh, CEO of Sun, uh, on triangulation. You can go back and look at it. And he was talking about the day Sun was sold to Oracle. And at that mm -hmm. time, Oracle acquired, of course, not only Sun's assets, but Java. And he said... I remember sitting in the room and the lawyers, the Oracle lawyers, the Oracle negotiators, they were rubbing their hands with glee because they knew they were acquiring technologies that they could make a lot of money on in court. Yeah. That was, mm -hmm. that was what they were excited about. They weren't excited about what Sun's technologies were. They were excited about the licenses. They were excited about the lawsuits. <laughs> and, uh, I, I wouldn't hey, be surprised. They know how to I mean, make at money. the end of the day... Well, the trick here is that uh, every website is fundamentally an API. When you request a HTTP request, uh, you can make a case that pulling HTTP requests from a website is an API call. Yeah. And the original idea behind HTTP was heading in that direction. And if you can patent that and take control of the whole idea that an API is controllable, then in theory, large parts of the web suddenly stop working. And it would be very bad for change. I wouldn't call it innovation. Copying someone else's API is not an innovation. That's just copying somebody else's API and then putting your own technology underneath that API. We need that competitively. We don't want to have a monopoly. So we know, for example, uh, Facebook is a monopoly of that particular space. It's very difficult for anybody to compete with Facebook because of the network effect. If we have APIs dominated, then competitors may, will find it very difficult to enter the space. And capitalism and competition, which is a part of a modern society then gets stifled, and that's why I think it's important. I think I overestimated the average age of the Supreme Court. I think it's actually, thanks to uh, Brett Kavanaugh replacing um, Justice Roberts, uh, somewhere around 64 now. So it's a little better than it was. But imagine the difficulty. It's bad enough explaining a lower court what an API is and why this is an issue, but imagine the difficulty in explaining to the Supreme Court what this, <laughs> what this all means. Ye you, you have to hope they have some smart clerks, right, that understand I think they, um, the technology world. That's, a good, that's world. a good point. I'm sure the clerks do. Yeah. 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 Uh, we'll watch that. I think that's going to be an important case. I thank you for watching Twit this week. What a, what a show. Greg Farrow, Packet Pushers Network. 
You're on you, fire. Dan. You always do that. You always light a fire on us and make us think, which is important. That's important. Yes. It's important. Strong opinions loosely held. Change my mind. <laughs> That's his motto. <laughs> uh, thank you, Greg. Always a pleasure. You stayed up late tonight, and we uh, we are yes. very glad you did. As Jason, always, a, a privilege to be with you. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. J Jason Heiner uh, from the beautiful Tech Republic in Louisville, Kentucky. I'll see you in May. Excellent. First day I would love May. that. Oh, it'd be fun. Let me know if you come. I will. Absolutely. I will. First mint juleps on me, but you can buy the mud pie. <laughs> that derby pie, that's good. That's derby good pie. stuff. I love yeah. my derby yeah. pie. And uh, it's good. Brian McCullough. He's the host of the Tech Meme Ride Home, our historian for the day. It was good to have a historian here. Well, thank you. Yeah, I put on the history hat now and again. I like that. Necessary. Yeah. I think that's really helpful, actually, because it's, uh, you know, and as I get older, I think it gets, I, I understand better the importance of context and all this stuff because, we, we, you know, we're like in the middle of it all. And, no, but uh, that's the point, Leo, is that if you live long enough, all the stuff you remember is history that you got to tell the youngins about. Too bad I don't remember anything. <laughs> thank you. Great to have you, Brian. We do Twit every Sunday afternoon, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern. That's 2300 UTC late at night for Greg Farrow. But you can always watch wherever you are. If you watch the live stream, it's at twit.tv slash live. Actually, it's audio and video. So you can watch or listen. If you do that, join us in the chat room. That's where everybody else watching and listening live is. irc.twit.tv. TV. There's always a great conversation going on there, and I appreciate the chat room. Thank you for being here. If you can't watch live, and I know most of you can't, hey, no problem. We've got on-demand audio and video. No blinking 12, no VCR to set. We will provide you with an on-demand version of this show absolutely free. All you have to do is go to twit.tv. All our shows are there. You can download an episode, audio or video, and you can also uh, get it in your favorite podcast application. So that makes it really easy. All you have to do is uh, is uh, look for This Week in Tech. Say, I want to subscribe. You'll get it the minute it's done. One more favor I'd like to ask. It's time for our annual Twit survey. We try to make these simple and easy, but it's very helpful for us in understanding better what you like, what you want, how you listen. And, uh, and, and look, at, we don't collect any information about you. We do not spy on you. The survey is the only way we have of kind of getting a better idea of who is there. Not required, but if you would help us out, I'd appreciate it. Go to twit.to, that's our URL shortener, slash survey19. If you go to twit.tv, there's a link right there on the front page too. Twit.to slash survey19. We really appreciate your help. In a better understanding you, it helps us sell ads, but it also helps us understand what it is you need from us. So we thank you very much for uh, helping us out there. Thank you for uh, watching Twit. We'll see you next time. Meanwhile, another Twit is in the can. Bye-bye. <laughs>